What's up, everybody, and welcome back to yet another special edition of Ask PJ Braun. Not at Blackstone Labs, but again, back here in the kitchen of Colonel Feezy. And so we have an extremely special guest for you today. Uh, Mr. Tony Huge is on the line with us currently, and um, we've got a plethora of questions which have been sent in by you, the loyal viewers, and we are, we're going to get into this. It's, it's going to be ridiculous here. So uh, for starters, welcome, Dr. Tony Huge. Thank you, PJ. Glad to be speaking with another friend of freedom. So listen to this, buddy. We, so we, we didn't retire the podcast. We love the podcast. We actually did, uh, what did we do, 50 episodes last year? We did a lot. Um, we, we, were, we had a pretty impressive number, and uh, it's gotten super popular, and we've had some fun guests on, but we're moving. We're in the, the process of transitioning from one warehouse building to another, and so we have no podcast room. So we're like, you know what? Let's, let's put it on hold until uh, we get back. But we had a big one that we really wanted to do with uh, Flex Wheeler. And so we set up shop here at Josh's house, and we did the Flex podcast. It was super, super popular. And we figured, all right, well, that'll hold everybody over until then. But then we just had this uh, plethora of people that were saying, you should do something with Tony Huge. You should do something with Tony Huge. And I was like, all right, well, I'll ask him. I don't know if he's going to want to or not. And you did. So thank you very much for giving our listeners what they want. Yeah, we, you and I had some good conversations at the last few expos. And so this is the natural progression of uh, collaborating together. I, I'm, I'm excited, especially since... Uh, I'm sure your fans and my fans have a lot of mutual, uh, well, there's probably a lot of mutual fans with a lot of questions that you and I both love answering. Absolutely. And uh, so my fans now know that they, they see the coming attractions because we're, we're about halfway through the Generation Iron Muscle Mogul series and you are being featured by Generation Iron also. Yeah, the movie comes out March 8th. So... Uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I, I know I know my fans will love it. I'm really curious how the mainstream is going to feel about it, though, because it is very pro-steroid. Well, I had lunch with uh, Edwin and Vlad last week down in Miami, and they said that it's very controversial. Yeah. So <laughs> it's approved for Netflix, because I know it's going to be on iTunes and Amazon Prime and these other things, but uh, I'd, I've not seen something like it on Netflix. And if, if it was, whoa, we'd open up some minds. Well, hopefully. Hopefully. The goal of it. I use I use steroids to try and open up people's minds about other taboos in their life that they might think are bad because of the misinformation they've gotten. Try to open their mind to see it from a different perspective. Well, let's let's talk before we get into your questions. Let's talk a little bit about Dr. Tony Huge and how this all started. Because you know maybe I know and your specific listeners know, but maybe a lot of my listeners don't. So I want before we get into answering your questions, I'd like them to know a little bit more about your background and how this Dr. Tony Huge entertaining persona came to be sure i'll try to explain in one minute so i uh, <laughs> obsessed with bodybuilding starting somewhere around age 12 13 when my first girlfriend told me she wanted a boyfriend with abs okay. so i thought i had to get abs to get the girl and then you know from there i thought i had to keep getting more muscle to get more girls and and so it started being like a lot of for a lot of people to get girls because i was a nerd sort of a I didn't really fit in with everybody else that well so that was my became sort of my ego and what i was known for is uh bodybuilding and natural natural all the way up until i was age 30 i'm 36 right now uh i was a businessman uh entrepreneur real estate lawyer uh sold my law office about three and a half years ago and 
intended to just retire completely. Um, I had, I, at that time I was experimenting with steroids because uh, I, I was very anti-drug uh, up until age 30. I wouldn't even take NyQuil. Uh, maybe age 27 when my mind started really opening up about uh, the benefits that drugs could confer when they're used properly and with intention. So then fast forward to uh, selling my law office because uh, my baby mama got pregnant in order to try to trap me, and I did not want to have money. I did not want to be a target. Uh. So I, I, I practically burned a lot of my fortune at the time or hit it just to get just to prevent her from being able to come at me. Oh, now, fast, I done that. Everything's going wonderful with her now. We're together and we have a, and our daughter's. Oh, wonderful. wait a minute. This is, I didn't realize we're talking about the woman that you're with now. Yeah. Do you, do you regret burning all that money or no? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> Part of me blames her for it because she basically cost me millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, she is the type of person, and this is quite common, that money changes her. Absolutely. So when when she first met me, um, she saw me as very powerful, but she saw me as having control of my own money, and she would never have control over it. Once she got pregnant, she realized, and her friends all told her, that then she has power over me, and she had a complete 180-degree personality change, and she was trying to abuse that power. Mm -hmm. So then fast forward again, once I made it very clear to her that all the money was gone and there was no nothing she could ever get uh, get me for, once she finally truly believed that, you know, more recently actually, then she switched back to who she was before, which is a wonderful, very peaceful uh, Filipina immigrant girl, uh, sort of like a village girl style. <laughs> She's back to see that. I like that. I really like it. So far, I, you are great. <laughs> <laughs> what a gr he did a really good job summarizing it fast. That though. was amazing. Um, I'm I'm very entertained. So uh, let's let's give us some more though. So when, so you you said you were natural till you were 30, but took an interest at 27. Where, where, when did you actually? What was the first drug you did? Uh, Nyquil. Nyquil. I mean, I exactly what age it was but mm -hmm. I was uh, practicing as a lawyer and I was uh, I couldn't get any more efficient I wanted to work 18 hour days but you know when you get sick or something um, then you're you're you become much, le much mm -hmm. less efficient you want to work but you're slower and so I thought I've got to try taking something I've got to take a drug to oh actually I've got a fast I've got to rewind back to when I took Adderall oh here we go so a I very took common Adderall college drug. So I started law school when I was 20. Uh, I had just turned the month I turned 21. I started law school early and it was a four year law school. The last year of law school, I discovered Adderall. I knew about it before, but actually I started I wanted to start practicing with it because I knew I wanted to use it for the bar exam. Mm -hmm. So I started it in the last year of law school and I went from being like ranked like 30 out of 45 in the law school because I. Uh, I, I always find the shortest point from uh, line from point A to point B, and for me, it was just not studying at all until it came time for a final exam, mm -hmm. and then cramming for 16 hours, and and that worked for me. I can get through law school like that, or or any college for that matter. Um, so then, when it came to the bar exam, I knew I couldn't do that. I knew I had to prepare a little longer in advance. I needed an advantage to do that to catch up and learn all the information I skipped over the last four years. So I took Adderall my third, my last fourth year of law school, and I rose from being like 30th in the class to being third in the wow. class. 
And, you know, law school is extremely competitive. Mm -hmm. You know, the people in the top five especially are working really hard to compete with each other. So I, I just blew up to the top of the class and then I took the bar exam and I blew it away. I mean, it was like it was like you taking a, a first grade math exam. That's how easy <laughs> it Because I was so prepared and my mind was so on point from the Adderall. So then I became then that opened up my mind to drugs. But again, I didn't want to I didn't want to take anything that wasn't absolutely necessary. So then came the NyQuil. Then came uh, a friend of mine was really into experimenting with all kinds of different chemicals. He's one of these bodybuilding nerds that doesn't uh, train that hard, doesn't diet that hard, but he's obsessed with the chemistry. Okay. You know, like a, a lot of our fans are. Yeah. Right? Like kind of how my root, kind of how I was too. So I started experimenting with the SARMs and things probably about 27 or so. Uh, and then I didn't touch uh, the gear other than the pro hormones and things. I had run those when I was younger uh, because I, I didn't think of them as drugs at the time. I thought of them as supplements sort mm -hmm. of. And then uh, then started the steroid cycle. First steroid cycle was testosterone and Terenabol. Hmm. Yeah. At least you had the test in there the first time. A lot of people make that mistake of, of just doing something like D-Ball or DECA because they're popular in the gym and they wind up screwing themselves up. It actually started with just Tyrannibal. Interesting. And and, uh, and about a weekend, I, I was I knew I was kidding myself. I knew that was stupid, but at a weekend I was like, all right, I'm just being chicken. You know, I, I I realized that my own ego about being natty and not doing an injection and considering myself half natty by taking an oral steroid <laughs> instead of steroid was ridiculous. And then that, that's when I added in the first injection with a 21 gauge, 1.5 inch Ooh. needle. Those are the big ones, Lord the big long ones. Where did yeah. you stick it? Uh, right in my butt cheek, and my friend who had introduced me to all the research chemicals, he's the one who gave me my first injection. And it was so freaking painful, and now <laughs> I've learned, thank God I've learned so much about how to inject better using a smaller needle. And different oh, my God. Patients. That's horrific. Yeah, I, I like uh, when you know you come across the beginners, and they bring those daggers out, and you're, you're like, oh, my God, because I haven't seen one of those in so long. You're like, why are you harpooning? Yeah, I, I won't go near one of those. In the, in the very beginning, I did too. That's that's. You oh, know, I know. I know. The, I, back back when I started was, I mean, what year did I start taking steroids in? Early two thousands, and uh, back then that was like all there was, was these big long ones. You know, honestly, I didn't stop torturing myself with the fucking whale harpoons until I started working at Blackstone. So I don't know who it was, but somebody was like, why are you doing this? And I was like, I don't know how else to do it. Yeah, that's like, that's like the, the most common thing you hear from the beginners is those, those 21 inch 1.5s are huge, but at least, at least you went in the, in the butt. I actually, when I didn't know any better, I was scared in the beginning and I used to do them in my shoulder. Oh. Uh, I think that's part of the reason why I have such bad scar tissue in my shoulders now. No. Hey, hey PJ, what, how old are you now? 38. All right. So I'm 36. So uh, pretty pretty similar in age. So wow, you started gear uh, pretty young. So have you? Um, do you regret taking gear? No. So quick little history on, on me. I started bodybuilding when I was twelve, very seriously, like right out the gate. So by my senior year in high school, I was already known as like the big kid, and you know, I would go to different towns and people were like, oh, you're that bodybuilder guy, you know. And so when I got out of high school, I wasn't big enough or fast enough to play football anymore. And I started competitively powerlifting. I won the teenage uh, uh, drug-free AAU National Powerlifting Championships. And um, in my last meet as a 198-pound lifter, I fully ruptured my biceps tendon. And I was so sad because 
I was only doing the powerlifting for fun. It was just fun at the time. It was just a hobby. Bodybuilding was my passion. They told me it was probably going to be a six-month recovery time. So during my recovery, I, I took everything very, very seriously um, with all my rehabilitation stuff. And when I had gotten back in the gym, I, I felt like I was so far behind. And I just started really, really intensely. Like I would say by the time I was done with my, my, my surgery and, and back full speed at, at around 21, I was training as hard as most national bodybuilders do now, completely drug free. So I was like, I, I want to do a bodybuilding show really bad and, and, and make up for lost time. So I had a mentor in college uh, that I always talk about a, a guy by the name of Rene Abreu, brilliant, brilliant guy. And, um, he was kind of guiding me and, um, Everybody was like, you know, you, if you do the show, you, you have to get do drugs. You're going to get your ass kicked. And I just didn't want to believe that. So I, I wanted to prove everybody wrong. That was my, my whole mindset. So I dieted my ass off for the Bev Francis Atlantic States. And I dieted all the way down to 189 pounds. And, you know, I'm 5'10 and a half. So that's a skinny, it's a skinny bodybuilder. But I, I was ripped. You know, I, I was absolutely ripped. And I wound up. Uh, placing fifth and there was about 30 guys in the light heavyweights at that show so people were coming up to me backstage and they were and they were they were literally saying man if you get on some some shit you're, you're gonna be good you're natural aren't you and I was like man they can all tell that I'm natural and so I remember thinking about you know what I looked like after all the work how much smaller I was and I realized there's no way that I will be able to be as good as these guys if I don't get on steroids. And I think it's very important for everybody, no matter how good or bad your genetics are, you've got to be able to take a look at yourself and say, okay, do I look like the guys that are doing well at this? You know, if you're going to dedicate your life to being an, you know, an IFBB pro bodybuilder, right? And, you know, you're, 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 taking steroids and you're doing all these things and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you are not even close to what you see doing well, well, chances are it's just not in the cards for you. So I looked at myself and I knew there was no way naturally. So I decided that I wanted to do steroids. And, and the funny thing is I had asked Renee a couple times and, and the advice that he gave me that I, I always cherish to this day was he said, listen, just because I do it doesn't mean you need to. You're doing fine on your own. But I'll tell you what. You want to follow my lead, follow my protocol, train with me every day, eat how I eat for a year. I will help you get it and, and teach you how to do it. So I was like, done. I wanted to be like him so bad. So I trained with him that whole entire year. And I was like, all right, it's been a year. I'm ready to do some steroids. Let's go. And he goes, look at how good of gains you made, though. You made amazing gains. Why do you want to stop making these gains and rely on something else when you've already did this? And I was like, well, you do it. And he goes, yeah, but look at the gains you made are actually more impressive than I've made not doing it. Come on, stick with it a little bit longer. Let's see if we can max out your potential. And so he did that to me again. And so because of, because of Rene, I, I learned the importance of the nutrition and training and, and, and you know, over-the-counter supplementation in the beginning. So once I had proved myself and showed I wasn't going anywhere, finally he was like, fine, I'll help you get some damn steroids. And um, I didn't even take his advice foolishly because I was talking to all the big guys and they were all doing D-ball. So in my head, I was like, I have to do D-ball. Uh, but then some of the other guys were like, oh, I like DECA the most. So I came up with this little DECA D-ball cycle and I gained like 30 pounds, but it was super bloated. I, I just didn't like the way I looked. And uh, I basically came off and started all the way over again. So I, I started after my 22nd birthday. So I started fairly young, but I had a full, uh, a full 10 years natural, you know, behind me at that point. And I knew 
that I was going to go all or nothing to be a pro bodybuilder. Were you concerned at the time about the fear of natural shutdown and having to be on TRT the rest of your life? Was that one of the things you considered? It, it was, and it was funny, but some of the older guys that I worked with were like, Look, listen, here's the deal. Once you're on, you're never going to want to be off ever again anyway. You're going to go through these periods of doing a post-cycle therapy and running HCG and, and going back clean, and you're going to hate it. And all you're going to think about is getting back on, so just – Get it in your head now that once you're on, you're going to wind up wanting to be on for life and just accept that. And I kind of was like, all right, well, makes sense to me. Come on now. And once I retired, I retired young from competitive bodybuilding. I retired when I was 31 years old. But after I completely cleaned myself out, my old partner and I did a, a video series that we, we called it um, Project Small, where basically I was like, all right, here I am, PG Braun. I've been competing at the national level for many years. I'm 260 pounds, and I am going to document everything I do coming off steroids and um i documented it all lost like 25 pounds over the period of like maybe eight or ten weeks or so and then when we were done with project small and we we're just back to being normal i decided you know what i don't really want to be like this anymore i'm gonna at least get on some hrt and we'll start a new series called project huge and you know that was about seven years ago i suppose when, when i when i retired we did that and i've been on hrt since then yeah, I, when I decided to take steroids the first time, I knew and I waited until I was okay with the idea of being on testosterone the rest of my life. Not that I need to be. I believe if I came off, I could take enough enough other things to keep my testosterone level high enough. I don't think I'm completely dependent on it, and I'm still fertile even after six uh, six years of chronic steroid usage. Well, that's but good. <laughs> I went in. I went in uh, accepting the responsibility that and and risk that mm -hmm. i may have the rest of my life too yeah uh, a few years ago uh during my marriage i wanted to have children and um i came off of everything and i was running uh the pregnancy protocol with hcg and clomid and everything and um i felt terrible but it was very important to me that i wanted to um i wanted to have children but my ex-wife uh not <laughs> not knowing not me not knowing uh, had done an IUD without telling me. So I was just basically shooting into her for, for nothing. And um, she kept it from me for, 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 for months. And, uh, you know, once it came out, I was, I was livid. And I'm like, so you were okay with me just feeling like crap for the sake of trying to get you pregnant when, when in reality, you know, I was never going to get you pregnant. And she was like, well, I didn't want to have kids, but I just didn't, I didn't want to tell you. So after that, I got back on and I, and I have been on since then. By my blood work, I shouldn't be able to have children the way my blood works looks now. But um, I, I do want to have kids. So I do believe that, you know, one of, one of the doctors that I work with has been doing this for a long time. And, you know, he says that as bad as some of the blood work that he's seen as far as how low, you know, things like luteinizing hormone and, and follicle stimulating hormone can be, that he's seen people come back with, you know, the right protocols of HCG and other things. You know, sometimes it takes a while, but um, he, he's, he feels confident that, that I'll be able to do it. So I'm going to trust in him. And if I can't, then I guess I did it to myself and it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, so I, I have another baby coming uh, to be born in a uh, month, month and a half. Oh, congrats. Months or so, two months maybe. Awesome. So, um, and, and my follicle-stimulating hormone, my luteinizing hormone on my blood work says pretty much zero. Yeah. 
And so it says I'm totally shut down, but on the other hand, I did get her pregnant, and I was on steroids when I got baby mama pregnant. Yeah, most of my buddies were on when they got their, their baby mama. So a lot of people think, you know, oh, I'm on birth control by taking steroids. I can do whatever I want, and, and most of my buddies have gotten their girls pregnant on steroids. Um, uh, including d- people that are, like, taking huge amounts. Yeah. of like, oh, well, mm-hmm. there should be no way I could do this now. And then all of a sudden, they're like, how the <laughs> yeah this this happens a, a lot you know used to be in the old days they were like oh if you get on you know you can do whatever you want you're, you know you're not gonna your, your sperm is gonna be zero you can do whatever you want uh most of those guys figured it was no big deal um at this point i don't you know i don't use protection with my girlfriend if she got pregnant i would just you know consider it destiny at this point and um so i roll the dice but you know we're in love and i don't plan on being with anybody else i feel like it's a fair risk to take um and i'm old enough that you know first of all you're never really ready i guess when you when you have kids anyway but i'm old enough where i know that i want children so um what i wanted to know is before we get into into all the questions did you this is this is just something that i've been dying to know we haven't got a a chance to talk about this so just doing my little uh you know background check on anything did you partake in the lady boys in Thailand because people have been asking me to ask you this like crazy and I can't find this information online. So I was like, I'm just going to ask him and see what he says. So there's my, my favorite video that I've made <laughs> is actually lady boy injection. Okay. And it's on, it's on uh, www.anabolictv.com. Okay. And it's a video where it, it's a joke video, but it's, it's real, but it's a joke. It's, it's, it's me saying, Hey everybody, I know that it's on your bucket list that you want to, be injected with steroids by ladyboy. So I'm going to show you how to do it step by step. Uh, and I went on Tinder and I picked out a ladyboy and I seduced her and I got her over to the place and all my friends there. And they're like, what the fudge? This is, I mean, this ladyboy was, she's cute. She was very cute, but she also, there's some ladyboys that you can't tell. Yeah. We, yeah. I had this happen to me. I showed Josh and everybody, I was watching porn one day and I was in like this Latina page and this girl her name is chanel santini by the way i I went and found her for all those of you out there that want to see my tranny surprise and i was like really really into the girl and then all of a sudden the the camera went down and she had a big penis and i was like what the fuck and i was like mesmerized like i couldn't believe it and so then i started searching all the girls scenes cut because i i couldn't believe that this this was a tranny and then i wound up crashing my computer and then having to bring it into my, my computer tech guy and, you know, it was either that or bring it to the Apple store, which would have been super embarrassing. And so I, I handed him the computer and I didn't say anything. And um, so uh, about an hour later, he's like, hey, you know, your, your computer is fixed. And so I went over to get it and I looked at him and I was like, so listen. And he just put his hand out for me to stop. And he goes, I've seen a lot of weird things over the years, man, don't even worry. Don't even worry about it. So I didn't even really get a chance to explain myself. <laughs> yeah. See, everybody needs some good ladyboy stories, even if it's <laughs> on the computer. But you know, in in America, the ladyboys, and this is funny. I actually got sent on Instagram the other day. I posted on Instagram. I said, "Look, let me clear something up about Tony Huge and ladyboys." Yes, Tony Huge loves ladyboys. Ladyboys are beautiful, majestical gifts from god but lady boys and trannies are a very different thing and this is my definition okay a tranny a tranny's a dude with a wig and some lipstick on okay some, right yeah 
But these ladyboys in these Asian countries are are the most beautiful women I've in the world. You know, they've invest so much money into how they look, mm -hmm. and they're with the the plastic surgery is is so advanced over there that they can look like anything they want to. Yeah. So they look like an absolute dream girl. And the first th the first time this happened to me is I was on a uh, uh, my first ladyboy experience. I was on a sex tour through Asia uh, when I was thirty, maybe thirty one, thirty something like that, and. Uh, one of the stops was Thailand and I was in a, a bar and the most beautiful girl I've ever seen uh, came over and sat next to me and she started rubbing on me and she touched me in ways that women hadn't touched me before. This woman was an absolute expert. She knew exactly like like a Rubik's cube. Like most men, <laughs> most men just see a hot girl like, yeah, I'll bang her. But you know, until you've been with an extremely experienced woman or a lady boy who knows all of your oh. buttons, <laughs> buttons are. Greg Valentino used to always say that the Ramblin' Freak on Muscular Development. Oh man, yeah, he's got all, he's got some good experience with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I was I was ready to go home with this girl. And, oh, that's right. She said she said I have to tell you I'm a lady boy, and I'm like no freaking way. I said. <laughs> Here's your penis. She said, well, I had surgery. She showed me her vagina. It's a perfect vagina. Oh, wow. For all the other girls in here, ladyboys, look around. I started noticing, okay, yeah, some of them now I can kind of tell, but a lot of them I couldn't tell still. And then I walk outside the bar finally. I had to get pulled out by a friend because a friend was like, no, we got to go. Once he found out that they were ladyboys, he's like, we got to get out of here. Uh, I didn't. <laughs> so then I, I went back home to the U.S. after that trip, and it was a long time between that trip and when I went back to Asia again. But I st was thinking about it constantly. I was just thinking – I was so confused. I was like, how is the most beautiful girl that was the most seductive girl I've ever met, how is that a dude? How is that possible? I, I was so – it was like confusing to me. I wanted to revisit it and, and kind of explore it myself. About it. So then I went back to Asia afterwards, and I experimented some more, and have some more great stories than we have time for. But <laughs> the bottom line is, I, I do like um, the lady boys, but only the super feminine ones, like the ones that are tens. So post up. would too. It's just that most, especially American men, they'll never see a lady boy that beautiful because they'll never go to Asia. Yeah, that's, just, that's that's a good point. Just, are yeah. they are they always post op? No, no. Most of them are not post op. Most uh. of them have. Now, the ones that are, are post-op, uh, do you believe that they can actually have an orgasm? I forget the answer to that because I've asked that many times, had many conversations about it. And I, I think I think that they there is some sort of like uh, prostate yes. orgasm. That uh, that's, that's what I've read. Um, but it seems it, like hard to imagine that you could hack up the penis like that and still have sensitivity, uh, you know, inside after all that. But there is, there is, I have read on the, on the, on the prostate stimulus. We've actually been, I've actually been asked this, this question a few times. I figure you might have a better answer than me. Well, the, the thing, I, I know lady boys that are pre-op mm -hmm. that, you know, anally, they, they have orgasms anally. I also, so. I also wonder, you know, with m most of them are taking, you know, the more advanced ones are taking, uh, female hormones. So I have to think that would affect if they still have the penis, their, their ability to, to not just get an erection, but even have, have a normal, you know, I guess penile, uh, function. Yeah. You know, you know, because you, you figure, you know, most men when they're having erectile dysfunction, it often comes from lower testosterone. So if they're cranking estrogen in, you know, I, I would think that that would be an issue also. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of them, they the, the ones that are the most feminine, they started taking estrogen before puberty or yeah. during puberty, mm -hmm. so they never actually developed as a man, they developed as a woman. And and even if they come off the birth control or the, the estrogen later, they still seem to stay just as feminine. Yeah. Like, the, like the puberty doesn't seem to happen later, even though maybe they're producing a little bit of testosterone, but maybe their testosterone kind of got shut down from being on estrogen the same way we get shut down from being on testosterone partly because of the conversion to estrogen you know um thailand is supposed to be like the epicenter for this right yes i might have to go to thailand for uh um we're opening up and uh, my dad has has a, a distributor in thailand and they're gonna want me to go out there so is not the saying i'm gonna partake in the lady boys but i'll be in there i'll be in the area is the distributor hey, the lady boy <laughs> that i don't know that I don't or maybe know. we can time it when we're there together yeah that'd know. be fun Stuff. I'm yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a voyeur, so I'll, I may watch you with with <laughs> lady boys. So that's funny because I like being watched. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. I, I probably I, I might as well have my own porn channel. I'm <laughs> uh, you you tube or whatever. We have a guy on the team. I'm not going to blow up his spot on here. Actually, I guess I can say his porno name, can't I? I I would think. So we have a guy in the Legion. Uh, all, his 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 porn name is Richard Sutherland. And he's got a very, very popular page on uh, Pornhub. Um, and um, I reckon, so he competed at Nationals. I'll tell a quick story, then we'll get back to Tony Huge. So he competed at Nationals in, in, in classic bodybuilding. And um, so I was standing outside, and I was getting ready to leave after prejudging. And he winds up, uh, him and his girlfriend wind up coming up to me. And he was like, hey, PJ Braun, uh, I, I'd love to get a picture. And I was like, sure. And when we start talking, and the whole time I'm like, have I met this guy? before and so when we're done i was like man you both look so familiar i haven't met you before and and he was like no i i you know i've been wanting to meet you uh, but this is definitely the first time you know i'm from you know wherever he was from in like the midwest or something and i was like huh and i i never forget a face so i was i was perplexed i was like upset with myself that i felt like you know i had met this guy before so i was driving home in the car and i couldn't stop thinking about it and then all of a sudden i was like wait a minute I think I've seen this guy on Pornhub. So I, I, as soon as I got home, it was like I made it my mission to go on Pornhub and I was searching like, you know, bodybuilder, guy, fitness couple, this and that. And I, I kept searching around, searching around and sure enough, I stumbled upon him and his, his Pornhub name was Richard Sutherland. And uh, so I, I DM'd him on Instagram right away because you know, he had posted our picture and I was like, I got it. I knew that I, I, I thought I'd met you. I haven't, but I have enjoyed your performances <laughs> with your girlfriend many times actually on Pornhub. And he, he wrote back like, wow, what a small world. He's like, that's, that's, that's hilarious. You know, we have a, a pretty strong Pornhub following. We're, we're hoping that we can convert some of that into the fitness world. And um, I said, well, you know what? I'd love to bring you on, on the team. And so we brought him on the team after that. So, um, yeah, his girlfriend is, is uh, very attractive, too. It's just them. It's just them doing cam shows all the time. That's awesome. I only have I have one thing that happens similar to that. I guess I was in Amsterdam and I uh, was just walking down the street and a fan came up to me, and uh, definitely a bodybuilder, fitness type guy, and uh, was talking to him. And I'm like, "What do you do here? That you're like a bodybuilder in this town? There's not like a lot of fitness stuff going on here." He's like, "Oh, I do the live porn shows." <laughs> he said, "I'm gonna get you some tickets. Come watch me tonight." Like that's kind of funny. Like we kind of became buddies, and then he's like invites me to watch him do porn live it's kind of a, a that's weird, great a new guy friend you met but i i took at the my girlfriend there with me was the most conservative girl ever 
I mean, this girl's like practically, I mean, she's only slept with a couple guys. She's 36 years old. She's a businesswoman and she's extremely conservative. Mm -hmm. And I brought her to watch this live sex show. Of course, she's never seen anything like that in her life. <laughs> blew her mind so it was epic and then uh one thing more thing about the lady boys the uh my friends told me oh you're gonna go on pj's podcast just promise me one thing don't talk about lady boys anymore <laughs> but, but you Too know, late. There's, I, I need to connect the dots for people though mm -hmm. because i'm not just trying to be sensationalist when i do lady boy stuff on camera it's to try and change people's perspectives to open up their minds so i pick some certain things that i think are the biggest taboo or the people are the most, especially American men who I prefer to help the most, to open up their the minds the most. And Ladyboy Things is a tool. And I know it's a tool because it changed my perspective when I was over there. It blew my mind. And, and still to this day, every time I see a Ladyboy, when I see her naked body and then I see a penis, it's like the penis doesn't turn me on because I'm genuinely not homosexual. But it's like I can't stop looking at this person and, and, and just – I, I, it's like I don't get it. I'm confused, but I'm excited. Confused, like, <laughs> trying to figure it out. It's like it's like it's like paint, it's like most people playing a video game the same level their entire life, and then all of a sudden you get to a new level and there's new characters, and new <laughs> interesting things, and more color in your life. And and I don't want everybody else to go out there to go sleep with ladyboys, although they should have some experience about it someday. But if if you can be that, uh, if you can take something that taboo and and be make something uh, that give change your perspective like that, then what other things do we have prior judgments about that could change and then enrich our lives more? So that's how I use it. As that's a, a good, it's a, it's a great mindset. Yeah. Well, that was possibly one of the most unexpected intros <laughs> we've ever had on the, on the podcast. Well, I think, I think that intro though, for anybody who is not, uh, followed uh, Dr. Tony Huge before. I think they have a pretty good idea now of, of who's answering the questions that are coming up. Incredible. <laughs> that Incredible. was good. Um, uh, well, Eric, you'll have your work cut out for you uh, getting sound bites that aren't going to get removed on Instagram for this one. Yeah. Um, I, I got to say, like, I obviously have, have seen you on Instagram and, like, I've actually been in multiple group chats where people have, like, sent your stories and I think, you know, you're really funny. But like after this now, like you have a true fan. Like I, I think that everything you just said is absolutely incredible. You just went over the kernel. <laughs> incredible. Did you understand the context now? Yes. And that, and and a lot of people are gonna see one thing I post, and they're gonna think I'm evil that I'm trying to convince kids to use steroids, things like these, you know, the haters. But once you watch enough of it and you start understanding the theme I am really trying to open people's minds to I think the world would be a lot better place if if people just took these tools and understood the context so that's good we're giving them you know, you, you're, you're you're asking people to open their minds which is always a good thing you know when I when I was competing and you've probably heard many bodybuilders say the same thing I kept my mouth shut <laughs> because I was so in fear that I would say something that would make the judges upset with me, that would make me not place well. And then finally, when I retired, I kind of just started saying whatever I want. And I noticed that people started liking me more and more. And I said, well, I've actually been holding all this stuff in for years. How would I have, how would I have known that this was okay to the fans? Now, I don't know that the judges would have liked it. Now it doesn't really matter because I sponsor all the events anyway. So of course they're going to be nice to me, but you know, what really got me talking more and more, because in, in the beginning, you know, whenever you're putting yourself out there as, you know, somebody that was big, that has any knowledge of, of, of steroids, especially I was coaching so many people, 
you know, people are going to ask you about steroids. That's just the way it is. But in the beginning, I was a little fearful. Like, am I going to get in trouble for putting this information out? And what kind of changed me was, and some people will look at this positive and some people will look at this negative. What kind of changed me was Rich uh, Piana. And the reason that changed me was people loved how open he was and he was considered the quote unquote realist. And I had met him a couple times and, you know, I don't, I don't have any issues with him, but I felt that he put out a lot of incorrect information, a lot of poor information. It was compelling me to put out what I felt was the right information because all I've ever really wanted for everybody else out there at the end of the day was for them to be happy about their bodies because that was what my mission was always about. You know, I wanted to be happy with the body that I had. I think many of us will probably never be happy, which makes us work so hard, but I wanted to make sure that I could help everybody else be happy with their body, but I wanted them to be safe. And there's a lot of people that say, well, you're, you're, you're immediately not safe when you're using steroids, but that's just because the public has such a poor misconception of what these different performance enhancing drugs are. And so I would like to be as open as possible about it because not only do I have many years of practical use behind me, but I get my blood work done religiously and I treat myself almost as, as if I'm my own experiment. So I, I often get my blood test done probably conservatively six times a year, you know, and, and I often like to see the changes of different things that I'm doing. And I've, I've kept my own data for years and I don't know how much true data is being compiled out there on this stuff. So I feel that my stuff is, is a pretty good gauge of what can be true. And, and, you know, I never, I never ever say to anybody that I ever want to diagnose anything. I'm not a doctor. I'm simply, simply telling you from things that I have done and people in my circle have done, these are the examples of the results that you're going to get. And now we're starting to have more doctors that know more. I have a couple really, really good HRT doctors in my circle. And, you know, all it takes is the right voice to get this, this going. The problem is the biggest problem, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this, is there's nobody on Congress that wants to open their mouth in a positive way about any of this. And that's why, you know, we've got our, Blackstone Labs has gotten our ass kicked uh, by the FDA for a couple of years now. And my partner, Jared Wheat, has been battling FDA for many, many years. And it's a shame because, like I said earlier, all we're trying to do is give people good workouts. And, um, you know, without going off on the FDA and wasting everybody's time now, you know, that, that's that's something that, that really needs to, to change. But there's got to be people like Dr. Tony Huge uh, you know, I don't know that people are going to respect me, but I, I like to think that some of them do, and I'm going to always have my opinion on it. There needs to be more of us, though. Yeah, so that's exactly one of the reasons I started publishing videos on this kind of thing, and I started with something extreme like uh, DNP and, and research chemicals because even DNP, all of these things are drugs yep. that can all be used safely mm -hmm. and then increase the quality of our life mm -hmm. or cure diseases. Well, DNP was sold legally at one point. Yeah, and uh, I heard you mention uh, GHB on your um, – uh, I've been listening to your live morning cardio session sometimes. Thank, thank you. You, you uh, share a lot of really good information. I'm, I'm surpri I was surprised how blunt you are and how truthful you are about a lot of stuff. It's really cool. I appreciate that. I've unfortunately been, been pretty sick this whole week, so my cardio Q&As are down a little bit, but I'll have them back yeah. next week. GHB has always been to me – 
Well, I've had a, a good experiences with, with different drugs over the years and bad experiences with different drugs. But GHB was, I found to be the most universally liked by bodybuilders because I think that most bodybuilders don't want to, to drink too much alcohol, although I almost killed myself <laughs> a year ago doing that. And um, I think that many bodybuilders were using it as a sleep aid, which it, it will put you into nice deep sleep. Um, I always felt that when I was using GHB consistently that I, I felt that I... I noticed a good fat burning thermogenic effect from it too. And, um, you just don't ever see it. It was popular when I started. And when I was out in uh, LA, very easy to get because it's very popular in the gay bodybuilding scene. And I had a bunch of gay clients that used to get it from all the time. And once I moved to Florida, people don't even know what it is. So it's, it's something that like everybody that I ask, half of them don't even know what it is, which is a shame. And I, I don't even know, you know, where to start. You said that, that you'd have some information for us. I'm curious of what you have to say about GHB. Well, I, I have GHB. I have a prescription for it. It's called Zyrem is the prescription name for it. And funny thing is it tastes and looks and smells. They have a smell. Uh, it, it seems exactly like the underground stuff. And it's, it's called Zyrem? Yeah. And they prescribe that in the United States? Yeah, it's it's not easy to get, but jump through some ho hoops. It took me about a year to finally get it. How do you spell it? Got it. it's a X Y R E M. Uh, so I use I use it. Uh, I don't use it all the time. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not addicting. That's mm -hmm. for sure. Like there there's certain drugs that people say are addicting that are absolute. GHB is not an addicting drug. Yeah. After you use it, you're like, I'm good. Yep. I don't need it anymore. I'm I'm whatever rested. You know, whatever effect you got from it, and then you're like, I don't want it for a little while. Um, same thing. I same way I feel with kratom. Actually, I'm a big kratom advocate. I've been using kratom for three years, actually. So kratom has had the most profound effect on me. I have uh, chronic pain in, in in certain areas just from foolishly wrecking myself between football, powerlifting, and bodybuilding over the years. So very bad arthritis in my right shoulder. My back's pretty messed up, which is common for most people that, that lifted heavy. And I do um uh, I do a pretty healthy dose of of cbd extract i do uh full spectrum cbd which i feel is is the only one that i've noticed anything from but it's i it definitely helps my anxiety a lot but i don't know that it's helped my pain the way that kratom has so i have kratom every morning when i wake up before i go to the gym and i can train longer harder you know less pain and it also puts me in a good mood i feel like it makes me focus better and i i've been using kratom for about three years consistently now so it's a shame that that's another one that they want to get rid of that's what bothers me so much like when i started the dmp diaries in the beginning which those videos are gone now a lot of the videos i did are gone because of censorship and just too much risk and liability but uh there's still remnants but i did the dmp series because i i i was um researching about it and i found just from my research that i didn't believe all the negativity that was said about it and I, I felt like it just felt exactly like what I knew as a lawyer. I would have been highly trained to parse between true facts and facts intended to mislead. And everything I saw about DNP seemed to be low credibility, misleading information trying to scare us away from it. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started uh, saying, hey, I'm going to experiment, see if it can be used healthfully, uh, get my blood work done do a diary series, and then use that as the most extreme example because there's no compound that's more hated other than fentanyl probably yep. now mm -hmm. on the internet other than DNP. So if I can prove DMP, people are wrong about DMP and open their minds about that, 
then imagine all these people that were closed-minded. I've just opened up their mind. They can't help but question what else they are wrong about, which opens up the door for things like Kratom and GHB and all these other wonderful drugs that are have incredible health benefits. I mean, uh, well, you know, Kratom is is uh, gets people off of opiates. Absolutely. Cure- Every kind of addiction is a painkiller. It replaces billions of dollars worth of pharmaceuticals. And then you have the FDA, who's the henchman of the pharmaceutical industry, not interested in our health, not interested in our well-being, not interested in us pioneering our own human evolution through chemistry, only interested in protecting the profits of these big companies that don't have our best interests in mind. And so there's got to be us little guys who are telling the truth about these compounds, even despite being up against censorship, because it's very hard to get content out there that praises these drugs that have benefits because you get censored. So I'm, you know, that's why like when we do a podcast like this, I'm really grateful for another platform to be able to express my political views about medical freedom and try to open up people's mind not to believe something negative they hear about a drug online because it's probably being perpetuated by people who don't have the the reader's best interest in mind. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we're happy to have, you know, someone like yourself on here to speak this way because it, it needs to be done. You know, it's, it's, it's a shame that I don't know that, I don't know, maybe if we're lucky in, in our lifetime, we'll see something really positive happen, but it's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. I'm going to start, um, some kind of political movement. I've already got some political consultants looking into it, trying to pick what is the, what is the lowest entry point that we could get in to try and start changing uh, loosening up the laws, basically, to allow more ingredients to be able to be used in the supplement industry, to be allow research chemicals to be experimented with by individuals instead of being controlled by the pharmaceutical companies who get to decide what they, what we're allowed to have. So uh, once that happens, then I'll let you know because then we could leverage all our audiences and see if we can make a real change, even Absolutely. if it's a small start. What year did you start Enhanced Athlete? Uh, it. I guess it was Enhanced Athlete started right after I retired as a lawyer, pretty much. So I guess that was three and a half years ago. Okay. So the reason I ask is because, you know, looking at the products that you're behind, you have some good and, and, and very uh, interesting products out, out there. But when I started Blackstone Labs in 2012, we were a pro-hormone company. And, you know, fortunately for Blackstone Labs, I was paying very close attention to what was going on with legislation and I knew that they were going to pass the designer hormone uh, bill in 2014. So December of 2014 was the last month that I ever sold uh, quote unquote designer pro hormones, which was pretty much all of my products at that point. However, I was game planning for what to do after the ban because I knew that most of my competition was gonna go down and a buddy of mine uh, Anthony Roberts and I had been speaking for a while about uh, Osterine. And so we came out with, uh, as soon as the, the ban hit, the next day we released our, our product, OsterX. And it became our most popular product. And then we wound up doing a couple other SARMs. And, and basically we put ourselves in a really good spot because most of the market had fallen off because all they were selling was pro-hormones. And we didn't really have much competition. So... Um, my old original partner, uh, who owns Iron Mag Labs, Robert uh, DiMaggio, was doing the same thing. He started selling uh, SARM products as well. And really was kind of um, just us back then. And this douchebag, who I probably shouldn't say his name because he's sued me numerous times 
over the years decided to sue us. Uh, typical ambulance chaser. You've probably dealt with this guy before too. Um, and uh, he, he makes, basically makes his living suing people and he, you know, certain people he finds ways to get class action lawsuits against, but he went after us hard for the SARMs. And at the time, you know, we were only in business for a few years. I was nervous and I didn't want to fight back then. So I actually wound up settling for, I think like a couple hundred grand, which sucked. And I agreed to never sell SARMs ever again. Well, that same guy tried to sue uh, DiMaggio at Iron Mag Labs. Iron Mag Labs fought and beat him. And man, I was kicking myself for years after that because I, I didn't know that we could have won. I would have fought and kept going because we had some really, really hot products. So now, um, you know, I see some other companies like yours, for instance, that are selling some, some good SARMs. And people say to me, PG, why don't you put out some SARM products? And I tell them I truthfully can't. I legally actually cannot sell SARMs ever again because of that lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. Enhanced athletes currently in the lawsuit with, and that's uh, covers it in the documentary a lot, a lot of video from the deposition and all that. Uh, but yeah, enhanced athletes still in that lawsuit, but pretty much kicking his ass every step of the way. So yeah, that the attorney that files these ambulances are his in, in issue, in, initials uh, KS. Uh, yeah, that's one of the three conspirators. He's such a dick, isn't he? Uh, I've <laughs> I've beat him now a couple of years. Now that I have a good attorney and I'm not afraid of punks like that. And then there's the other one. Uh, we'll just say the letter K who's a pain in the ass too. But now ever since I partnered up with Jared, it's funny how, how the bullies that are the typical little punk bullies, it's funny how they disappear when, when somebody who's a real badass comes around, because ever since I partnered up with Jared wheat who owns high tech pharmaceuticals, they won't even try to come near us now because Jared has mopped the floor with most of these guys. And, um, you know, they, they leave us alone, but in the beginning, you know, when we were smaller, they figured, oh, let's just keep suing these guys and making their lives hell over every little thing that we possibly can. So um, I like to see people fight back. You know, I, now, now that, you know, we are where we are, we're busy fighting the FDA. I don't have time to fight, fight somebody like that. But I, 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 I hope that you do kick, kick their ass because it's, it's a shame. It really is. Yeah, the payday is going to be when the countersuit comes to, or, uh, to sue them for malicious prosecution Good. after – against athlete wins, which is what a lot of the defendants are doing right now or turning around to sue them uh, for malicious prosecution because all these lawsuits that they filed and the whatever, $10 million they probably made over the last uh, seven years mm -hmm. of, of extorting supplement companies, uh, it's all fraud. It is. It truly is extortion. Yeah, I, I, I still, it still bothers me the way that all went down. Yeah, so okay, your justice and the karma will come through uh, and the enhanced athlete victory and the about there's about 10 other companies that are about to kick their ass. And what happened was they once like once DiMaggio kicked their ass, then all the other companies realized, oh, we can fight and actually win. We didn't. We thought we were just had to settle based mm -hmm. on fear. And then everybody. And so so what happened with enhanced athlete is when enhanced athlete first got that demand letter, um, the CEO at the time, Scott, he was like. Uh, he had the same belief as me. He's like, screw them. I'll fight them all the way. I don't care how much it costs. Meanwhile, it ended up costing $600,000 to fight so far mm. <laughs> in attorney's fees. Yeah, oh, we know about that. But at the time, it was like, ah, this is enhanced athlete was actually developed to be a nonprofit. I mean, not uh, on the books as a nonprofit, but all the profits were to be reinvested 
into research and the political cause. And so this was an opportunity to reinvest that money into fighting for the little guys, which is all the other supplement companies too, that this, that these, this group of people were out there screwing. And so that's what it did. It enhanced athlete was the David versus the Goliath in the good fight. And my motivation for, um, encouraging the fight was I, as an attorney represented so many business owners and my, my, my passion who I can care most about is entrepreneurs and business owners and, and also people who want to improve their physique and all that. But really like what brings me to tears is when I see like a business owner that's working so hard to make their dreams come true. And then you got some ambulance chaser attorney, whether it's someone like this group or the, at uh, the, uh, handicap, in, in Sacramento here, we had a handicapped guy go around and sue every business in Sacramento based on um, uh, violations of the, I can't remember what it's called, the, the federal the federal law that if, the, if the, the counter height isn't exactly this or the door isn't exactly this wide or whatever. And he's, and the guy's making millions of dollars off these, um, off these, off this mail basically. And my clients, um, I would have to tell them, you, you know, it's going to cost you $20,000 to have me beat this for you. And they're offering you 8,000 to settle. Mm -hmm. And so they all pay 8,000, 8,000. This guy's just making poppers. And I, and I was like, I really want to fight this guy, you know, and my, and my clients either can't afford it or they, or they just want to do the business decision and just pay the extortion. And I'm like, someday, someday I'm going to find a way to finance fighting one of these guys and end them for good. And here this ambulance chaser came along and this is an opportunity to end this racket. And, uh, that's what the, that's, that's why it's worth fighting. $600,000, well, awesome. whatever it costs, doesn't matter. It's the principle. Good. Well, we're in your corner. That's, that's a, that's a good reason to fight. I hope that you get it. Yeah. Keep doing it for the rest of us. Shit. <laughs> um, well, I'm pretty damn pleased with, with this intro now. Might as well get into his questions. Yeah, luckily I think we actually have answered some of the questions. Like the first question, actually you both have answered in the banter in the beginning. It was uh, what were your first cycles? You both answered that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And um, then the only other part to that question was, Tony, at what point were you like, fuck it, and just went all out crazy with the gear? <laughs> um, mm, when I went all out crazy. I I'm curious of what... Dr. It's, Tony it's never, Huge's perspective of crazy is because I know some guys that do some serious numbers and many, many, many national level competitors lie about what they're doing anyway. So what, what is, let's hear what's one of the quote unquote crazier things that, that you've done. So I always do it in terms of short experiments. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've never, I don't think I've ever done like a normal three month cycle where I do the same dosage of the same compounds through and through. It's always uh because I want to run too many different experiments. Mm -hmm. I don't have enough time in my lifetime to run them all if I do long cycles. So I use short esters. I have tried mega dosing SARMs. I mean, uh, well, yeah, that's an extreme experiment. But I have have done uh, mega dosing steroids, and I've tried, let's say, like two grams of test and a gram of trend. And, uh, Ooh, gram, gram of trend. How long did you do that for? Uh, when I did a gram of trend that was for a competition and i just did it for 30 days the last month before the competition and i uh i did i did not i don't like the feeling of being on a really high dosage steroids i just feel ill yes me too uh especially and, trend really on a high dose really i found it it screws with my emotions a lot yeah and i and i just lose weight like i can't eat enough like i don't know where the food goes but it doesn't necessarily build more muscle 
but I just I actually look flat and like weak. Uh, it like has the opposite effect at a certain point. Mm -hmm. so, so there definitely seemed to be a, a sweet spot. It also depends on the compound. Uh, but I'm super sensitive to trend. I don't experiment with trend very much anymore because it, it just I don't get um, many side effects at all from most steroids, uh, most SARMs. But trend is one that I do get a lot of side effects from. You know, I loved trend when I was competing. It was probably my go-to for like the last six to eight weeks before my shows. I, I always incorporated trend. I would notice it immediately how, how, how much harder and stronger I would get. And as an adult, um, I, I tried to run some, some trend. Uh, last year, I, I had a photo shoot set up around the time of the Olympia. And I, about 30 days before the shoot, I added some in. And I made it about three weeks. And I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I just felt so lethargic. And I was having horrible night sweats. And so I talked to the doctor and he was like, it's got to be the trend. He's like, just, just get off. And I was like, man, I used to use this all the time when I was competing. And he was like, look, you're not an old man, but you know, you're older now. Things are going to hit you differently. You know, just stick to, stick to what you're doing. So I, I decided actually about a, about a month ago uh, that I wanted to run this little mini blast uh, cycle protocol. So I wanted to do, basically what I did was I did 10 days of, uh, I did 10 days where I did a CC of testosterone sipinate every day. And then I did 10 days of, of nandrolone phenylpropanate, one CC every day. And then I did uh, 10 days of primobolin, one CC every day. And then the final 10 days was the trend phase. So I really was only doing each, each compound for 10 days, but I was doing a CC every day. Well, I had actually pretty impressive uh, results happened during that. And I hadn't, part of it also is because I haven't run anything aggressive like that in years. And I figured it was a good time to do it. All my blood looked great. About five days into the trend, uh, I got really bad insomnia. I felt very hot and tired all the time. And I noticed that, and I kind of noticed this last time too, that I would be, you know, just driving to the gym and just start getting very angry out of nowhere. I didn't know why, you know, I'd be with my girlfriend and she'd be like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm just in a really bad mood. It's nothing to do with you. I, I don't know why. And on the flip side, out of nowhere, I would just start getting really depressed and down where I didn't want to talk to anybody. And she actually noticed it too. She's like, you, you seem really d depressed. And on day seven, I, I opted to not, um, I was like, let's just abandon this little, this little protocol that I wanted to try. And about 48 hours later, I was back to normal. And so now, I mean, if I didn't learn the first time stupidly, I know that I, trend just doesn't agree with me anymore at all. Yep. Same side effects here. Yeah. That's why I just, it, it just, I, I bodybuild to increase the quality of my life and trend just decreases. No, that's a great, great line. That's true. It just, it, it's, you know, it's funny because, because it's got this name, like everybody knows trend, you know, and it's supposed to be the end all be all, but it's just the, the risks for me now. And for many people, I, I have found out now through my Q and a that this happens to many, many people. And maybe when I was young, I was just so focused on my bodybuilding shows and I had far less going on, you know, I had far less responsibilities. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I was just tired and driven on my, on my workouts and didn't notice it, but boy, I notice it a lot now. So well, that's, what I, that's well, what I noticed. The bodybuilders that are just focused on the bodybuilding only, mm -hmm. and they don't have a lot of stresses or complicated life. They seem to work really well with trend. Yep. That's mm -hmm. commonality. While we were on the uh, specific topic of compounds, I wanted to actually ask you myself, what, do, what are your opinions on Trestalone, either acetate or decanate? Uh, I've never gotten gyno faster than when using Trestalone. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, we're talking like 36 hours. You got a guy now. Mm. <laughs> it's, uh, but it's also, I think I put on the most amount of muscle, the fastest yeah. on that. There's a couple cycle, couple short experiments I did that I put on the muscle, the fastest, and that's definitely in the top three. Uh, it's just that estrogen builds up so fast. So if, if I'm going to do that again, I would actually start taking letters all the day before Smart. I do my testosterone <laughs> injection because it's... for some reason you can't catch up. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was taking letro, but I, it just couldn't catch up to the amount of estrogen that my body had produced. And I did my blood work on a, uh, about 15 days into a trestolone acetate cycle of hundred milligrams per day. And my, uh, estrogen was 48 times the normal <laughs> wow. highest. I mean, I've never seen estrogen as high as wow. when I ran that compound, but the estrogen is what is responsible partly for why it builds so much muscle. Mm -hmm. It just goes to show like you can do something similar with testosterone and running a high dose and letting a lot convert to estrogen. Mm -hmm. Although the type of estrogen that Trestolone converts to is uh, it, it's the most pa it's the most potent form of estrogen. I forget which one, estradiol, I think. Yes. But, uh, yeah. So and and actually, it's a it's a modified version of estradiol. I think that it can actually convert to. That's so potent. So imagine it's that potency and it was that much level in my bloodstream and that was the fastest muscle gainer uh, that I had. It, which again shows how powerful estrogen is. I uh, I I only ran I ran a trestolone and anthate cycle for thirty days. And I, to be honest, the only reason I stopped it was because I just felt super bloated and watery. And um, I felt that it was, a, it was a very, very good hard gainer, you know, because, excuse me, hard gainer drug. Like for, for the guys out there that have a hard time gaining weight, um, I haven't really seen anybody have a hard time putting size on with, with this one. But that one, that one, like you said, is, is a little aggressive for my taste at this point, too. Yeah, I think it's for the person who isn't responding to anything else. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you go to. Or if for some reason you're like, I'm going to do one hardcore steroid blast uh, one month of my life and never take steroids again, and I want to gain as much muscle as possible. Then <laughs> that's good. But if, if you're doing it, take, take your time and do things right. Uh, most people will never need it. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad it's there. It's yeah. fun to experiment with. Mm -hmm. So I, I ask because I've recently experimented with it and I've actually taken both esters um, both times uh, without any AI or estrogen blocker or anything like that. So that just goes to show you that that's how crazy my body is, that I his, don't need to take it at all and I get no sense. Yeah, his, his blood work, whenever I read it, it doesn't really make sense. He's just an anomaly, though, with, with, with the way that, that things work for him. He doesn't have to take anything for estrogen, it seems. What dosage were you taking? Um, I believe the acetate was 200, and I was taking it like every three days or so, and I think the, the Decanote one was uh, 150 or 100. Hmm. And I, I was just doing that one like once a week, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, usually, usually they make the acetate in 100 milligrams, but uh, – and then it's got a pretty short half-life, so mm -hmm. you were – but you were doing it every other two days? Yeah, because I was like kind of nervous because everybody was like, oh, if you take this, you're going to grow boobs immediately. So I was like, uh, let me just take a little bit and then see how I feel. And I didn't feel anything like on day three. So I was like, all right, let me try a little bit again. And then I started doing it like every other day. And uh, it wasn't like literally nothing scary happened to me. So I was like, oh, this must be OK. So that's why I tried the long Esther one because I, I don't really like to pin that often. 
So with with the gyno, here's my regret. I had to do this experience to experiment to understand this, but I I kind of wish I could go back in time. You know, one the first time you get gyno, then it, it's hard to get gyno the first time if you don't aromatize a lot. You know, like me, I'm very lean. I don't aromatize much. Uh, but then when I did get gyno the first time when I did a gram of testosterone as an experiment, I was like, I'm going to take one gram of testosterone with nothing else, with no AI, and I'm going to see how long I can go until I get estrogen side effects. And sure enough, I got gyno. And then forever on after that, now I can get gyno very easily. Um, so like I, I warn, I warn people, you know, even if you feel like you're not aromatizing much and you feel like you don't need an AI, you got to really keep it in check. And as soon as someone feels that very first symptom, you got to, you got to nail that gyno real quick because it just, it just keeps growing even after you stop taking the compounds, you know? I feel like but, once you've got a, a hard lump there, you're, you're pretty much done. Like I, I got mine. It kicked, it started in about 2000, late 2006. And I did North Americans in 2007. And I, I mean, I was running the last four, you know, I was running Arimidex for much of my contest prep, but the last four weeks I was running uh, Femera and Aromacin because I was trying to get this gyno to disappear at all costs. And I had a, a basically like a marble under each nipple and I was shredded at that show too and I could not get that little hard bump to go away and um I, I, I remember I came off stage and uh you know Palumbo was there with George Farah and George Farah was like TJ come, come here TJ and I was like oh it's it's PJ sir and he goes TJ you're a gyno you must you must get this out right now you'll never place well with this gyno and I was so like heartbroken over it and I was a broke you know young bodybuilder um, but my dad my, uh, actually helped me out and I went and I got the gyno removed after that. And then it was kind of like when you get your results to your STD test back and you know you're clean. And I just went, I was like, I'm going to run tests and, and no estrogen blockers for the rest of my life. And I actually made good gains for a while. It just, just, I was just you know more watery than usual. Then I found out uh, later in life, once I retired, that my body is now like an estrogen factory. And the doctors were actually scared at, at the first time we got my blood work in back maybe 2013 ish. Um, they, they, uh, the doctor had said she had never even seen estrogen that high. So they put me on a milligram of Arimidex every other day. And, um, I came back in, uh, we, we, so we did a milligram of Arimidex every other day for 30 days and we came back in and my estrogen at that point was about 278 and she was, she was shocked that it was still that high. So we came back in in another 30 days and it was still in the high 100. So we went to a milligram every day, came back in another 30 days and it was uh, in the 70s and we stayed at a milligram and um, finally got it down to about 40. And um, so she was like, I'm going to have to keep you on uh, a milligram of Reminex because this, this dosage is actually keeping you in, in an optimal range. So where many people may be down to single digits or even you know close to zero at that point, I was actually in an optimal range. So I've been running a milligram of Arimidex for, for years now, even on low HRT doses. And my, my estrogen is typically between about 35 and 45, you know, uh, right around where it should be. Um, unfortunately, when you run that much Arimidex, it does affect uh, my lipid profile. And so I have to do other things to make sure that my cholesterol is, is in place. But... It's either that or having the, the, the really excess estrogen. So this has been up to this point what medically I've had to do for years. And I think it's because 
I think I was probably just aromatizing so much after my gyno surgery, and I think I was prone to estrogen anyway, that I guess just years of, I suppose, steroid abuse, this, this is just like the byproduct of it. It's helpful you shared that because I think that this is what happened to me also. I definitely didn't aromatize much early on, and my body aromatizes a lot more now. Mm -hmm. So I think I also need to be on uh, Arimidex more more frequently, even on low dosages. So I, I may uh, start doing that as well. Yeah, I mean, give it a shot and, and, and see. You, know, you can just do your own experiment. Yeah. This next question says, uh, <clears throat> hope you all are doing great. Just wanted to ask about your recommended Osterine protocol for both fat loss and a bulking cycle, separate cycles. Also, I heard Carterine gives users a yellow vision tint like phone's night mode soon after the end of a cycle. Is this true? Why, if so? <laughs> I can answer that if you want. So, uh, Osterine was the first SARM that I experimented with, and uh, I made awesome gains on it, and then I used it as a bridge between cycles, but uh, you know, between steroid cycles, and then I've tried megadosing it. What I noticed with Osterine is it's, I think it is one of the perfect beginner SARMs. I love Osterine. Seem to have muscle building, strength building, joint tendon sort of ligament building properties. And uh, I usually, my friends, I usually tell them to take about 20 milligrams in the morning. I tell them in the morning because it's just my theory that that way blood levels are lower at night when the natural testosterone pulse happens. So I'm hoping that the HPTA feedback loop will show lower amounts of an anabolic in the bloodstream at time when your body gauges how much natural testosterone to produce. So I usually start my friends at 20 milligrams in the morning and then step up slowly over time after that every time they feel like they're hitting a plateau. I have a lot of friends that have experimented upwards of uh, 60, 70 milligrams, and they seem to notice the the effects. Uh, now, not all SARMs are the same way, but the, the effects of Austrian seem to plateau so somewhere around 40, 50 milligrams. Like there doesn't seem to be that much of a benefit after that so far from what I've seen, but I still need to experiment more. I always liked to do 30 milligrams of Austrian was like my sweet spot. I've not done more than that, but I found that dose. I was very pleased with the results that I got. And I find women do great with 10 milligrams in the morning. Um, in fact, many women actually I found did better with 10 milligrams of Austrian in the morning than with 10 milligrams of Anivar. Um, which is, I love Anivar, but um, I, when, we, when we had our Austrian product, um, a lot of um, bikini, uh, bikini competitors were using it, and you know, I would see the transformations that their bodies would go through, and the quality that they would have, it, it, was, it was pretty remarkable that you could just take 10 milligram pill and, 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 and get that good of, of results, and I didn't really run into too many women having uh, any virilization symptoms with that dose either. Yeah, there's no doubt that that Anivar is great, you know, for women to build strength and stay and burn fat and and build a little bit of muscle. But SARMs seem to build more, especially Osterine, but mm -hmm. other ones as well, seem to build more muscle on women. Like they can put on more muscle size on on the SARMs or Osterine than they can on Anivar, usually in my experience. Uh, and then at 10 milligrams, you're right, very few females experience side effects, and if they do, I have them drop to uh, 10 milligrams because usually if like it's a 10 milligram tablet or capsule then I have them do 10 milligrams every other day because the half-life is long enough to where they doing 10 milligrams every other day is similar to doing the five milligrams per day and that seems to work That's out really cool. good the other part of that question was the for bulking versus cutting I don't think it really makes 
a, a huge difference. The dosage, there's there's more factors like the person's sensitivity or how much lean body mass they have. I think matters more than whether their goal is bulking or cutting as far as what dosage of the Austrian they would take probably. Okay. Well, what, uh, then, there's a carterine question too. No, no, I've never known anybody to get yellowing of the vision from carterine. I think they might be referring to S4. S4 does hit the receptors in the eye and does cause vision side effects, but carterine does not. And I've had people megadose carterine. They've never, I've never heard of anybody experiencing vision side effects from carterine. What's your optimal dose of carterine? 20 milligrams. I, I tried. Uh, I experimented with 10 milligrams and noticed very little benefit uh, to my cardio capacity. At 20 milligrams, it's a very noticeable benefit. And then 30, maybe a little bit more. And then 40, no additional benefit. So it, it seems to me like the low end of the sweet spot is around 20 milligrams. And I don't want to take any more than necessary of that compound because of the cancer risk. I don't think there is any cancer risk at a low dosage when cycled. In fact, I think it actually could kill cancer. But I do believe that at a very high dosage and without cycling it uh, and using it chronically then could lead to cancer. Good answer. Good to know. <clears throat> Next one says, um, does arachidonic acid have any side effects apart from muscle pain and which is better compared to SARMs? Yeah, arachidonic acid can have major side effects. I mean, all of the things you hear bad about inflammation and health – uh, they're talking about what arachidonic acid does. So I only take enough arachidonic acid to increase the soreness in the muscles, and I try to time it like I take it pre-workout. And then it's very noticeable. My muscles get more full, more sore, and grow more. Uh, but if you take too much, you start getting inflammation everywhere, your joints, your tendons, your whole body aches. It, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. feels like you get hit by a truck. And that's just the inflammation you can feel. Imagine what it's doing to your organs and everything else in your body. Very unhealthy. So it's important. It's, it's one of those supplements that more is not better. A little bit helps a lot. And then you take too much. And now you're still going to have a lot of muscle growth if you have too much inflammation. But now you're going to have side effects too. So that's why I think timing helps and keeping the dosage moderate. All right. Next one says, what's up, y'all? Blackstone Baller here. Quick questions for Dr. Stoney Huge. Number one, did Trevor ever pay Dubber? Yeah, well, Trevor gets looks, that's for sure. He gets looks like he should pay Dubber. So what happened is that first came along when um, he and I are in a, a like a subway station. You know, in, in Asia, they have these trains where they just pack everybody in. And if you're an American, you're probably the only American on the train because everybody else is just, you know, Asian people going to work. And so Trevor, Trevor's funny because he's got, he's this huge guy, massive, muscular, 260 pounds, veins popping out, tattoos, earring piercings. I mean, he looks like a badass. He's like a Rich Piana style guy, right? Mm -hmm. So, but he also cares. He he's a very soft. He's like a teddy bear inside, and he cares a lot about what people think. And he doesn't. And he, he wants to. He's his etiquette is very good. Things like that. So when I embarrass him in, in on the train, and I, I pull up the camera and I say, "Oh, Trevor, are you too big for a train? You must pay double. You take up a too much room on the train. Must pay double to ride train," in the Asian accent. And then all these Asians know that I'm making fun of him, <laughs> or, or them basically, because I'm you know butchering their Asian accent. So that's how it started, and then I keep joking with him about that everywhere we go, about how he has to pay double, dubber. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
And and it, it's just so funny because it embarrasses him so much. <laughs> and so I get great pleasure from that. That's great. His second question is, can micro-dosing mushrooms with peak checks, will my upper chest shelf be like yours and Craig's? Oh, you know what? Uh, okay, so he's throwing in some funny lines from there. So so you got Craig Goliath, one of the biggest guys around. Yeah, he's a monster. He always does the peak check where he flexes. He asks you know, strangers to give him a peak check, you know, flex their bicep. Um, and then we got the upper chest shelf, you know, the hardest muscle to develop that he's got a really good upper chest shelf and I'm injecting my upper chest shelf all the time to get <laughs> bigger too. So we got a little upper chest shelf competition going and then, uh, they threw in the mushrooms cause they know that I'm experimenting with the mushrooms. And if we had the video going right now, I would show you some of my mushrooms, but Damn. Uh, I'm going to resume introducing, uh, the, the, uh, magic mushrooms again for nootropic benefits yes oh well we have to definitely do a follow-up then for that absolutely yeah all right this next one says hello mr huge and pj i listened to your podcast the other day with mark bell i remember you talking about how the government controls us by not letting us inject ourselves with hormones legally but are letting transgender people do it you talked about living free from the government so my question to you is, do you believe the government is lying to us about certain things, such as the moon landing and the earth being a planet? I consider myself to be a woke individual and have spent many years researching not just flat earth, but a geometric, geocentric earth, an earth with a sun and a moon revolving around it inside of a glass dome with no actual such thing as space. It may sound crazy, but the more research I do, the more I come closer to this conclusion. <laughs> there are no actual pictures of a satellite or earth. Are, they are all photoshopped. Have you ever researched a geocentric Earth or listened to Eric Dubay's studies on this topic? Do you think that the government and high ups such as the Rockefellers and Rothschilds know the truth and are hiding it from us for all of their benefit? I just wanted to bring a different sort of topic to the podcast to bring a different spin onto things. And also, since you like to mention freedom a lot, I would like your take. Sincerely, that one woke guy. <laughs> okay, so the timing of this is really funny because <laughs> just watched the documentary on Flat Earth. Uh, what, uh, two days ago? I mean, what, and I never intended to watch it. It just started playing on Netflix because you know how you, uh, like flip through Netflix and then all of a sudden something just starts playing yes. in the background. And it actually captivated me. It was very interesting to watch. I really liked the documentary. I don't think it was called, it wasn't called Flat Earth, but the whole documentary was about Flat Earth. So, uh, just first PJ, have you heard about this Flat Earth thing? I have. We actually had a, one of our... <laughs> One of my uh, muscle boys, which is what we call the guys in my call center, believed so much in the flat earth theory that he got into a fight with the round earth uh, muscle boys. And, and he uh, eventually he, uh, he quit, I think, actually. Um, you know who I'm talking about, right? Not because of that. No, though. that's not why? Okay. No, he quit because of Bitcoin. <laughs> he quit because of Bitcoin. And then, and then <laughs> I mean, he's back with us now. Yeah, but, but does he does he still believe? Not only does he still believe it, but he also believes a plethora of other unbelievable things that I just sometimes I walk in to his portion of the office and I just try to like see what crazy shit he'll say. <laughs> so I am I am not for the flat Earth personally. Uh, my grandfather uh, actually helped design the Hubble Space Telescope, and um, he he actually did a lot of. Uh, stuff that um, was classified and some of it actually in the past 10 years or so has been been declassified some of it being uh, the stuff that he did with uh, the Hubble Space Telescope and NASA and um, so I, I believe my grandfather I don't think he's lying to me on um, the stuff that he's done and and um, shooting that 
telescope up there to take all the pictures that it takes. So I am, I am, I am pro round earth. I'm against the flat earth. I also, to follow up, I was just talking to Brandon the other day and he actually told me that he's not saying necessarily that it's (laughs) totally flat, but he can tell you that it's not round. We love you by the way, Brandon. I wasn't saying Josh said your name. I guess if you listen to the show, you're going to know I was talking about you anyway. So I don't think he cares. (laughs) I think if you DM him, he'll be glad to go back and forth with you. (laughs) Okay. He's very strong in his belief. (laughs) No, I could. I'm. I'm. I'll keep my answer as short as I can. But it's an interesting question that I could spend hours uh, responding to, not because I know much about flat Earth, but just the psychology behind it and just the physics of how things in our reality work. So my first reaction when someone says that, and, oh, what I'd love to know is I'd love to do like a survey and and see what my fans or people that know about me would think that I would think about flat Earth. I'd be really curious. I wonder if they think that I'm a conspiracy theorist about everything or <laughs> if I'm judgmental about everything. But the tr- but this will this will give uh, everybody a much better insight into how I think about things. When someone says the earth is flat, I actually don't pass very much judgment. Mm-hmm. I don't jump to say, no, it's not. It's round. Or, oh, wow, it's flat. Oh, you know, get obsessed about it. It's, it's kind of like the information just flows over me. And then I, I think, okay, is the information relevant to me, my goals, and my quality of life? Or is it something that's going to change my perspective that could change my goals uh, or my quality of life? And I don't think that whether or not the earth is round or flat is going to impact my mission, my goals, or really change my perspective that much. Now, there are many other conspiracy theories out there that I do believe are true that do have direct impact on my life. And... They all seem to be financially – all the conspiracy theories that I've discovered to be true were financially uh, – there was a financial motive behind it. And I don't know what the financial motive behind the, the flat earth theory is, but that's where I would start. I would say, okay, if you're telling me the earth is flat, why would they try to cover it up and what is the financial gain from it? And and then I could help – then I could understand it better mm. because when – it also in that question was talking about other government conspiracies that I do know to be true, and it's and it and it was all financially motivated, and I, it's very easy once you just once you just follow the money, and then you also understand human psychology, and you combine the money and the human psychology, then it's all predictable. It's all it's no longer even a conspiracy. It's like oh yeah, that's just human nature, and that's just how money works, and that's just how the world works. It's and, and that's and that's where I've. Uh, ended with the United States government, the FDA, um, people who have financial interest in the United States government and, and, and other governments of the world. And, and one of the reasons I like traveling so much, or one of the reasons I like uh, also being a polygamist and having multiple girlfriends, is I, I like to challenge my own perception of reality. That's one of my favorite things to do. So when I travel to other countries, it gives me a completely different insight on humanity and perspective on what I, uh, my own upbringing and my own life. And then when I date other girls, each time I'm with another girl, I get to be a little bit different person because I get to explore the world through their perspective. Uh, so I think that helps people. Uh, doesn't give them, uh, I think, the answer on whether flat Earth is real or not, or the conspiracy are real or not, but it allows them to understand my thought process around it and. And, uh, and and which I would apply to any conspiracy theory. I would say that's a, a, a good answer that no one can be offended by. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that for sure. Like uh, in the end of the question, it says, 
Um, do you believe they're hiding it from us for all of their benefit? And you basically answered it by saying, if you can show me what the benefit would be of telling us that we have a flat earth, then I'd be more interested mm -hmm. in diving more into this, Absolutely. but I'm right there with you. There's, even if we are walking around on like a triangle right now, it's not going to change how, <laughs> how heavy 200 pounds is for me. So there you go. Oh, and there's, so this, this is also a good example of, there are so many things in our life that we can change and to be worried about something that we cannot change is futile. Absolutely. Good so, point. Yeah. Let's summarize it. All right. Next one says, Hey, Dr. Huge, while on TRT at 200 milligrams of test sip a week, I'm taking one milligram of Arimidex daily for existing gyno lumps and prevention of them getting worse and simple estrogen control. Wouldn't it be wise to just take something like Rolaxifene instead due to the sides of a Dex like heightened lipid panel or crashing estrogen levels to low. And from some readings, I understand it prevents some 5A activity, which DHT is essential to, whereas Rolax or Tamox or even Clomid only deal with estrogen alone. Thanks, Dylan. Okay, so let me try to extract some parts of that. I didn't catch like three quarters of the way through, but so Roloxifene, Tamoxifen, Tormaphene, clomiphene, these are the four main uh, selective estrogen receptor modulators that block the estrogen. They attach to the estrogen receptor, but they give a null signal to most estrogen receptors. Actually, some estrogen receptors, they act like estrogen. But for the most part, they give a null signal. So they block the receptors so the blood levels of estrogen don't change, but the effectiveness of the estrogen on the receptor does change. So he's, all, he's currently using Arimidex, which is an aromatase inhibitor, which blocks the conversion of testosterone and estrogen in the first place. And especially when only taking 200 milligrams of test per week, that's pretty low. Mm -hmm. I would much prefer, if I had to, to be using an aromatase inhibitor because then also my testosterone levels are going to be higher. Absolutely. I mean, because the doctor's probably not going to give him much more tests than that. So we got to make do, we got to make use of the test that we got. Yep. We don't want to, to convert to estrogen and then block it. What a waste of, of good testosterone. <laughs> My doctor does not like to prescribe tamoxifen. Uh, he will, uh, but with an HRT, you know, the, the, the protocol you're supposed to be doing, you, know, you, you, you should be fine with anastrozole or Imidex over the tamoxifen. You shouldn't want to have it blunted like that. You, you, you know, you, you need a little bit of that estrogen present, so... Yeah, and then tamoxifen also, when it blocks the estrogen receptors, it also blocks estrogen receptors that create satellite cells, which could mm -hmm. lead to new muscle cells and hyperplasia. Yep. So it could yep. potentially limit some muscle growth. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he's worried about lipids. So just like you, PJ, actually, this, so the follow-up question for you would be, since you are on, like we discussed, a milligram of Arimidex every day, and you said you have to do things to offset the impact on your lipid profile, what are those things that you do? Because this person may want to incorporate those. So I supplement with a, a very high quality uh, EFA and fish oil product that I get through my doctor. And I'm not saying that there's no place for, you know, regular, you know, GNC, I guess we'll say fish oils, but there's, there's better quality stuff out there that will have a pretty impressive effect on your lipid profile when you when you take them properly and get them done. I take fairly high doses of mine too, so I, I typically do uh, anywhere from from depending on what I'm doing six to nine grams of supplemental high quality fish oils a day. And I, I also I use 400 milligrams of ubiquinol. So there's a few things that I do to I guess combat 
what's happening to my heart from the anastrozole. Um, I also take extra N-acetylcysteine. So there's, there's things that I do that I feel help out. And I also believe personally, and, and there's not really any true study on this, but I've talked about it with my doctor and she agrees as well. I, I believe that taking glutathione as often as I do has a positive effect on the lipid profile because when you're talking about the heart, what's one of the main things that, that will attack the heart is free radicals. And so you're taking you know, the most powerful antioxidant known to man that's going to you know, be going after those free radicals in your body. So I believe that there is an indirect effect from the glutathione, although people typically are taking it for, for liver detoxification. I think that it, it absolutely has a positive effect on the lipid profiles. My numbers have gotten steadily better in that area uh, based on supplementing with those things. What's your HD? So my last blood work, my, so my, my total number is never over 200, which a lot of people think that, oh, if you're over 200, this is so bad. It's really the ratio, which is more important. So my last one, my numbers were 37 and like 90, which is not too bad because my ratio is still only around like three to one there. So I'd like to have, you know, when I was competing, this is, this is a pretty, pretty, it's, it's scary to see numbers like this. When I was uh, competing, that number was in the single digits. And um, I don't know how low you've seen, you know, on, on people's blood works before, but that was actually fairly common with a lot of the bodybuilders um, that I've been working with over the years. And, and when doctors see that, they're like blown away, you know, because if you take your, your normal, you know, individual that's not taking steroids and even eating, you know, McDonald's and all these other bad things a day, they're still not going to have numbers like that. So that, that's a scary one when you see that. So I, I've always been aware of that and been supplementing in some way. Um, I've never had... I wouldn't say I've ever had uh, HDL, LDL numbers to be proud of, um, but they're, they're, at least they're not in, in a horrible spot right now. It is still something that is a bit of a concern to me, though. This will be one of my future research assignments to find which compounds can actually reverse atherosclerosis also because, you know, if we do have lipid profile that's off our HDL is too low or LDL is too high and an accumulation of on the arterial walls of plaque, then if, is there something that can reverse it? They think that pomegranate extract might be able to do that. So I, uh, I take a pomegranate extract, even though I had no way to really experiment with it or no, but just the science says that that might work. I may start doing that too then. So I appreciate you telling me that. Yeah, I had the, uh, I had seven HDL with my lowest on full blown gear. And now it's, it's usually around 14, but my HDL has always been low. My HDL before I ever did gear was was only 30. It was always under 40. Did they want you to do anything uh, medically, you know, to combat that? Well, they, they, you know, they offer me statins and things. Yep. But, but statins will, will kill you too. That's the sad thing. Yeah. So I, I prefer not to take mm -hmm. the statins. I mean, I, when I and I deep researched LDL and HDL, the the – the amount of HDL seemed to be a lot less significant than, than we seem to think in, in the mainstream. So I became less concerned with it when I did my deep research. I, um, I became concerned about the inflammation mm -hmm. and other things that contribute to it as well. So like sugar, for example. Well, here, here's a good example uh, of, of, of being concerning ourselves with what's really relevant and, can imp and, and really has a bigger impact and not worrying about the sensationalist stuff is like the, our blood glucose levels is, is one of the biggest determining factors of our health. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, so I still eat a lot of sugar and I still eat garbage food sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. is, that concerns me more yeah. than my LDL and HDL. And yet I'm still eating garbage food. So like for me, I'm going to concern myself more with cleaning up my diet and healthy lifestyle before I start worrying too much about the side effect of taking an astrozole and having my estrogen go a little bit lower and then having my HDL decrease as a result. I, uh, you'll, you'll find this interesting. I actually um, told this story on the podcast before. So I was on a flight back from L.A. Uh, I sat next to a cardiologist, and uh, he was very into fitness, which oftentimes isn't the case. And um, he was a, a, a fairly muscular guy, and he started asking me about bodybuilding and whatnot. And uh, so he was an open-heart surgeon, and, you know, that was pretty much all he did these days. And so, you know, this guy had been studying the heart from every angle for, for his whole life. And he said he had a case where they had a young man that was about 31 years old who abused uh, steroids and recreational drugs so bad that he was on a heart transplant list. And they had basically told him, you're most likely not going to make it to the transplant. And so they actually megadosed him in the meantime on 1,500 milligrams a day of uh, ubiquinol. And um, he said after 30 days, he showed a marked increase. Uh, and so they decided to, to keep uh, documenting this experiment with him. And he wasn't set to get a transplant, you know, for, you know, best case scenario, a couple more months. And so they were like, listen, you know, odds are you're not going to make it, but please, please stay on the protocol. You've actually showed some improvement. In, in 90 days, he said that he actually got taken off the transplant list because of the effect that it had that positive on his heart. And he said, now this is obviously... Uh, a particular case. This isn't something that we have study to prove will happen, you know, to anybody or everybody. But he said because of that, he immediately put everybody in his family on, depending on um, whether they were male or female, 200 to 400 milligrams of ubiquinol a day. And he said, for you as as a bodybuilder, I'm sure you're probably using anabolic steroids. He's like, I would suggest you you supplement with 400 milligrams of ubiquinol a day. And and Ever since then, I've been taking ubiquinol. That was a few years ago. All right, I'm gonna up my dosage. <laughs> yeah, I was actually taking 200 milligrams at the time, and um, he said, "No, if you're using anabolic steroids, take 400 milligrams a day." And, and he he truly believed uh, that it saved that guy's life. And they had they had been doing more testing. He said on it after that. And that was that was a, a, probably a good three four years ago that I met that guy. He was a very interesting guy on on the plane. So. So the uh... right, cool. I'm dose. Yeah. The other thing I do to protect my heart, um, not necessarily my, my uh, vascular system, but my heart itself, is sometimes I take nabivolol, which is a beta blocker. Mm -hmm. Bystolic is the, I think bystolic is the the generic name. But that that's a beta blocker that just makes the heart work less hard and get less stimulation. And especially if I'm going to take a, a a lot of stimulants. Mm -hmm then I take a nabivolol so that the stimulants can have effect in the rest of my body, but without taxing my heart too That's much. Smart. All right, this next question actually is in slight relation to the question that I had asked earlier about the mint. It says, hey, PJ, so glad you got Tony on. You guys are two of the smartest people I know when it comes to PEDs. So this question is for both of you. If Trestalone, a.k.a. mint, is so much stronger than test, while increasing libido and not converting to DHT, why not just run that? Also, 
through what mechanism does it increase libido if it doesn't convert to DHT? Looking forward to hearing from you both. Keep defending freedom. Peace out by Eric. Uh, Tony, you want to answer? I don't, uh, you know, okay, so some steroids make you feel like a trend, makes you feel isolated and depressed mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, not wanting to be around people. Yeah, mint was one of the steroids, kind of like D-ball, that gives you a better sense of well-being. Mm-hmm. You feel more social. You feel more confident. Um, I don't know that my sex drive increased on it, though. Uh, but it does convert to estrogen. Estrogen does uh, increase in estrogen, does increase sex drive up to a certain point. So that might also have something to do with it. Um, I noticed a massive yeah, I, sex drive increase on it. You, you did? I don't oh, yeah. I don't remember to be honest with you. Oh yeah. Um, I, like it, it reminded me of trend, very much of trend. See, my last trend experience was so bad. My 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 ex- experience with Trestalone was pretty positive. I just I, I put a lot of size on fast, but you know, I was still running testosterone with it. I personally I would never not run testosterone. So, you know, people often often ask me what's the, you know, the smartest thing or the safest thing to do if you can only do one thing and you, and a lot of, you know, a lot of your beginners that are afraid to stick themselves, they they'll just jump to Anavar, right? But you know, to me the 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 safest and smartest thing to do is is just run a low dose of testosterone because I mean, as men, you know, the way I always, you know, describe it just in a way that everybody can understand is testosterone is what makes you a man. So depending on what you're doing with your testosterone levels, you're essentially going to be more of a man and a little bit more testosterone is going to make you a little bit more of a man. You're going to be a little bit stronger. You'll get a little bit bigger. You're going to have more, you know, sexual aggression. You're going to, you're going to feel good. And I base anything else that I do around the fact that I want that good base of, of testosterone at all times. I wouldn't remove it just because something is, is far more androgenic, just because something is far more androgenic property to it doesn't mean that it's going to give you the better results It oftentimes like Tony says can have psychological effects and, and make you not feel good so I always feel good on testosterone you know the, the thing with testosterone is you know let's say you do I don't know let's say you do 300 milligrams a week of testosterone well 300 milligrams a week of testosterone is always going to give you what you get out of 300 milligrams of testosterone, it's gonna. If you do it for the rest of your life, you'll you'll consistently feel good and 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 get the gains that you want to get out out of that 300 milligrams of testosterone. So, I don't feel that it's something that, you know, I think we can all play around with different doses. Like Tony said, when he did some high dose stuff when he was younger, like I did too. And sometimes, you know, you do your little blast protocols where you throw stuff in. But for the most part, if the idea is to improve well-being, improve your physique, Im- improve who you are as a person. When you find that right protocol, then you should stick with it and run little short experiments here and there, not try to replace it with something that could be optimal and then, and then you know, set yourself back when you start getting perhaps not optimal side effects, you know? Yeah, but by default, testosterone is reliable. It's well experimented on. It's well understood. It's easy to keep your blood levels stable because you have so many different esters to choose from. Uh, and it's available anywhere you go, mm-hmm. any country, whatever, prescription or over the counter, depending. So it's, it makes a great foundation. Um, but then I, I did do experiments where I took testosterone out completely, and then I tried high dosages of certain compounds to see. And, and the trestolone was one of them. And now I'm, I'm thinking back to the sexual effects, whether I was had a higher sexual desire or lower or they dropped off completely. And I'm thinking back to this question that you asked. And I, I think what he's thinking is if you – if you replaced, if you took out testosterone completely, now you've got nothing to convert to DHT. Mm-hmm. Then how does mint 
how is Trestolone able to maintain a libido when it doesn't convert to DHT? Correct. And yeah. I guess the answer, the answer is, I guess your body doesn't need DHT for libido. I mean, I guess the the, tre the Trestolone acts the same way that DHT does for libido purposes. But I've experienced this with other compounds too, and and it and it goes it all goes all the way to the to defining what SARMs are as well, because SARMs are selective androgen receptor modulators that are intended to affect the muscle tissue more than other tissue, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have any effect on other tissue. You can still actually have no testosterone in you whatsoever and use a SARM and still have sex drive because at a high enough dosage, that SARM is also gonna have enough uh, uh, binding affinity to the, the receptors in your body that affect sex drive so the the trestolone is basically replacing the DHT for that sex drive that effect. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, most most see with DHT, people are often afraid to mess with DHT because things like finasteride that that reduce DHT. Most guys say that they get erectile dysfunction on it. Yeah, what I and what I don't understand. What's a curious thing about that is they have this this D. Um, when they take finasteride and they crash their DHT mm -hmm. and they come off the finasteride thinking their DHT and their DHT does come back, but their sex drive still doesn't come back. And it's called post finasteride disorder or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I don't understand why, but that seems to damage people's sex drive permanently in some cases, the lack of DHT. So, uh, I guess that's a risk. Someone needs to know it's, it, it's not happened in my experience with the, as you saw with the men, your, uh, trust alone, your sex drive went up also. Um, and, yeah. and yet that you would be in the risk of eliminating DHT and therefore potentially having some after effect of lower sex drive. Although I haven't seen that to be the case. Yeah. The first time that I used the acetate version, I actually, I wanted to try it without tests like you, cause somebody else had told me that you should run it without tests. So I was like, ah, that sounds crazy and like crap. Like what PJ thinks about just at least having a basic test, but I was like, ah, I'm going to try it. Why not? So I tried it without test and I noticed that like my sex drive was at least as high as it was taking test and trend and if not higher. And then the second time that I took it, I, I just took it with tests just because, and uh, sex drive is even crazier. It's like, it, it just doesn't, <laughs> it's like, there's no stop. I feel I like the wind to... changes and your, your sex drive goes up though. Yeah, it's true. So, <laughs> I, I have, well, there's one last case study. There was a, a, a guinea pig of mine who went on a long cycle of Trestolone at a very low dosage, something like 20 milligrams per day. Uh, for multiple months uh, to see if it would have the same effect as testosterone. And he couldn't tell the difference between doing 20 milligrams of testosterone or doing 300 milligrams of test per week. Hmm. He, you know, he, at the end, he said it, was, it had felt like the same thing to him. Very he didn't feel any side effects. Yeah, so, so far, I really like it. I think it's cool. For me, for somebody who doesn't have estrogen side effects, like mm -hmm. I can't cause myself to have estrogen side effects if I try. So, I mean, it's cool for me. If you, I mean, you know, at, at the end, we're all not physiologically equal. So different right. things will, are going to work differently for different people. You have to find what works best for you. You know, if you're, yeah. if you're having good results, I wouldn't tell you to stop. No, and I really like that the is, pumps. That is such an important point, too. And that, like, every time anybody talks about PEDs or anything, that they have to say it's so individually specific. Yes, absolutely. Otherwise, people don't understand. They think they can do the same thing. Someone else doesn't have the same effect. And and that's what anybody who says anything bad about steroids, too, they have to disclaim it by saying, and there's a lot of people who took steroids that never got any side effects, and they're really glad they took them. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. 
This next one says, why does Tony insist on wearing gloves while he trains? <laughs> They're very perceptive. <laughs> they notice. Uh, I'm the only one of all my friends that wear, wears gloves, actually. That's why I get so much crap about it. Uh, because I want to keep my hands smooth. I, I don't like my I don't like uh, getting calluses and stuff. <laughs> it's, uh, and and there's also I guess when I really really started is when I had access to like rusty weights mm -hmm. and I really got in the habit of it. So like traveling through Asia in some of these places where it's very humid or you're training at a gym that's near the ocean, some of the weights can get a little bit rusty. And I just I have this parent uh, I have this uh, phobia of like little shards of of rust or, or metal or something getting stuck in my palm. It's like a pet peeve from getting slivers, you know, wood slivers. You ever get a wood sliver, PJ, yes. as a kid? Mm -hmm. yeah. So fun. So, so I have this paranoia that I'm like something's going to get stuck in my hand or also like cleanliness, like so many people touch the bar. I know that yeah. sounds like, you know, OCD, but uh, I just feel like uh, the same reason why you wear pants, I guess. Or do you, shoes, wa do you, you wash know? your gloves? Uh, yeah, I wash them and, and I don't necessarily wear, wear them all the time. I probably wear them 80% of the time and, uh, and I just wash them and I also get new gloves frequently. You know, I'll tell you if the, in the era that I grew up in bodybuilding with the nineties, they all wore gloves back then. In the beginning I did wear gloves too. And it, it really just was a matter of, I think just, just losing them all the time as I got older. Same thing with wrist straps. I used wrist straps when I was younger too. And I'd just lose them or I'd have, you know, one and, and not have the other one. And I'm not going to just wrap one side. So I, I got more basic, I guess, with how I took care of my my hands uh, as I got older. Uh, but uh, I have actually dated girls before that really didn't like the calluses. Um, and I just told them, you know, too fucking bad. You know, it is what it is. Uh, and I actually dated a girl that enjoyed picking my calluses off, which was also pretty annoying. Um, so, you know, you probably have better hands than, than, than most of the guys out there. Yeah, that's right. I've got smoother hands, <laughs> but, but they don't want, I try to tell them that, but they don't want it. They, they like the calluses. <laughs> Every now and then those calluses, like, you know, uh, they can get, you know, you get the little pieces that come get out the edge, and they're sharp yeah. and, and like, you know, you're, if you're jerking off, you don't have the right lube. You can like slice yourself with it. <laughs> Or God forbid, you know, you just go to like scratch uh, yourself or something and just slice yourself. Well, you, the, the one place you definitely don't want to slice yourself is down there. That's what I'm saying. You get one of those extra hard little calluses. <laughs> Next one says. I, I, think, I, think before, I think the government should legalize steroids and then also make it a rule just like wearing seatbelts. You got to wear seatbelts or you got you to gotta wear gloves in the gym. <laughs> I think that we would see a decrease in fitness users. <laughs> They'd be like, wait, wait, I could take this test, but I've got to wear these gloves. Nah, fuck it. Uh, the seatbelt law is always one that gets me. Yeah, nobody wears their seatbelt. No. <laughs> uh, I noticed the Australians who are in the room, they put on their seatbelts when they're in the car. Oh, yeah. oh. We'll talk about that maybe on the next podcast. Very safe. <clears throat> next one says, what's up, guys? As a continued drug-free bodybuilder, they make Tony out to be a huge gear user. With that being said, is he cruising right now or is he still trying to put size on? Legion loyal forever, Blackstone Labs, Michael Powers. Yeah, so if, if I was a huge gear user and, and like I was trying to be a professional bodybuilder, I would be huge. But I, I can't uh, – it every time I break 230 pounds, I'm just very uncomfortable. I know that's light, but we all have our – That's really not light, weight. though. You know, It's really not. I mean, a 230-pound man is, is, is a big man. 
Yeah, 5'10", 230 pounds at 9.4% body fat. So, you know, way beyond the amount of muscle I could have for, to compete in classic physique, mm -hmm. for example. Um, so definitely, yes, definitely even by, like, bodybuilding standards, I'm a very large muscular man, but nothing compared to, you know, some of the pro bodybuilders that we deal with. Um, and I can't because I, it's so uncomfortable. Um, so I don't, it's not like I'm mega dosing steroids all the time. I'm doing short experiments. So like we talked about the Trestolin experiment, that was a 28 day experiment at a hundred milligrams of Trestolin every day. And then probably after that, I probably went on a low dosage of SARMs to bridge. Then I probably threw in another experiment of maybe a steroid that didn't even work. And so for the last six years, you know, there's a lot of things I've tried that didn't work at all. Some things that I tried that uh, worked amazing and had no side effects and things that had side effects. So right now I'm thinking about competing in 30 days in a bodybuilding competition in Sacramento. And I haven't exactly decided what stack I'm going to do because normally I only prepare for a bodybuilding competition for about two weeks. But last time I prepared for a bodybuilding competition that I used Winstraw, I, I ran it for the two weeks before the show but I really looked my best a week after the show. Mm. Winstrol really started doing its magic about three weeks in. So I think I need to extend my competition preps to three weeks. So <laughs> a grueling three-week prep. Yeah, that gives me about one more week to decide what I want to have in my system <laughs> on the competition day. And uh, in the meantime, this week, I'll run uh, uh, mostly I, mostly I've been doing SARMs. I did a SARM experiment recently where I did uh, YK11 and LGD3303, which are two of some you know fairly newer ones. We got a lot of questions about YK11. Give us a little bit of your opinion on that. Uh, when when I read you know when you read stuff online so much, you just I know is inaccurate mm -hmm. um, and or, and and possibly they're not getting the right stuff because there's a lot of you know back when you were carrying it. Um, we actually never more... carried. We never carried YK11. I carried the LGD, so I have Sorry, not. I, mean, so... I have I'm never taken that... YK11, and so when people ask me, I can only give them answers based on what I read, and I don't like to give my own answers on something that I haven't experimented with. So it's been one of those things that I've been curious: should I experiment with just so I can have my own perspective on it? Okay, so you so back when you carried the Sarmazo is different because you're running it as a mainstream supplement company, mm -hmm. and you know if you say 10 milligrams of Osterine, there's 10 milligrams of Osterine. But a lot of these research chemical companies, you don't really know yep. whether you are actually got the YK11. YK11 is actually very expensive, and so if there's if there's a if there's one of the Sarms that they're gonna kind of like Anavar, if there's yep. something that's gonna be faked, YK11 is one that's mm. highly likely to be faked. Now, I've definitely experimented with the real YK11, and I definitely use it again recently. The first time I used it, uh, I thought it was God mode. I mean, I, it felt like full-blown Anadrol. And I took, uh, I took it spread throughout the day. I took it like one capsule 10 times a day. So I really spread it out. And that was 50 milligrams per day. And I blew up like I was taking 100 milligrams of Anadrol per day. Wow. And then I experimented with it a couple times that I didn't notice much from it. And then... Uh, this last one when I did it and I didn't do it for very long and I combined it with the LGD 3303 so we don't know which one was causing it but I had uh, I felt extremely anabolic on those two and it does seem to be dosage dependent the YK11 seems to be more effective in higher dosages and it's got a shorter half-life so it should be spread out more it is meant to be uh, or it's used as a myostatin inhibitor mm -hmm. mainly 
So that means it would be highly synergistic with other things that are anabolic. I wouldn't use it as a standalone anabolic. I would use it as something to be synergistic to remove the limits of muscle, muscle growth potential that you have from using other compounds. So I was using the LGD3303 as my anabolic to actually build muscle and the YK11 to lower the myostatin to remove the barrier to building muscle. Hmm. But the same, but it, I don't know whether it's uh, more effective, equally effective or less effective than uh, the Epicat. So like you carry the Epicat, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So that is a myostatin inhibitor, and I, you know, I've read the science on it, and the science looks pretty legit in real world. I, I'm, I'm still not sure. I think that uh, the Epicat is probably the most effective thing that we have uh, over the counter, and I don't know whether it's more effective or less effective than YK11. But if I was trying, if I was to try lower myostatin muscle then those are the two compounds that are on the market right now that I'm looking at: YK11 and Epicat. Cool. I think, I, I mean, we've had a few questions o over the past year on YK11, and one of them was how to dose it, should it be dosed throughout the day, which you answered that already. So that's, that's um, I appreciate the answer on that one. Now I'll know for the future. Maybe I'll mess around with that one a little bit, and we'll see. So uh, luckily we only have three questions left, but I think they may cause the longest answers okay so keeping that in mind i don't know how much space we have left on a memory card so we should probably try to wrap up the re rest of this podcast okay um so the first question of these three says for pj and tony huge have you guys ever had to drop people in your life to pursue a dream you had or have to cut dies with someone you love because they didn't support it or were, or were mentally and physically holding you back thanks taylor talon tony uh, okay, so I can't think of any time that that was specifically the case because it, what I do, you know, okay, so I have two answers to that. One is the, the type of person that I am is, is kind of, uh, I, do, I, I, I do put a lot of energy into other people. I help a lot of other people, but I don't let it deviate from where my goal is. So I'm a very giving person, but at the same time, people say I'm very narcissistic and like self-centered onto what it is that my main goal is. And so, so I've never had to cut someone that was holding me back because they never would have, they never would have gotten any ground in holding me back in the first place. Like it just never would have been like, if I'm dating a girl, I'm not going to go to her place. I'm not going to drive to meet her. She's coming over my place period. And we're going to do, we're, we're going to go to the gym and we're going to go to eat where I want to eat. And we're gonna go on the jet ski because I want to go on the jet ski. You know, it's it's all it's all what I want to do. I don't go out of my way for a girl or anybody else really. Um, but I will do a lot for her. It's not like it's she doesn't get a lot in return, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the, let's see the, the the other the other element to that I noticed though is that whenever I'm in a long term relationship and I break up with that girl. I seem to make the most amount of progress. So it, it must have been holding me back in some way, but I, I can't exactly pinpoint what I was doing differently that it was holding me back. Well, bodybuilding so, is, it is a selfish pastime, a selfish sport. There's a lot that you do focused around yourself to be the best that you can be, especially at the competitive level. I think the competitive level is, is, is a truly selfish uh, life to live because, you know, you can only eat at these times. You have to do cardio at this time. And everything is essentially me, 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 me. And that's, that's difficult for the partner to often take. 
Um, I, I think I, we have similarities in the ways where the most of the part is I do what I want to do. And if the other person doesn't want to do it, then they're probably not going to be doing it with me anyway. Um, but I, I will tell you when I was younger, I dated a girl for five years. Uh, I've had many long relationships. I was always more of a relationship kind of guy. I dated a girl for five years and she was a little older than me. She was a school teacher and, um, she was ready to have children. She was, uh, 32 and I was 27 and I felt that I was in the prime of my bodybuilding career and trying to chase my goals. And she, she wanted me to quote unquote, get a real job and, <laughs> and stop bodybuilding. And I had just started my online training business and I, and I told her, I said, I promise you, if you let me do this, you can have all the money that I make because it's not about the money to me. It's about the accomplishment. I, I have something that I want to accomplish and I'm not going to back down from it. And if you can't take that, then I'm sorry, then we're not going to be able to be together. And she was a wonderful girl until she put this ultimatum on me. And she said, well, you know, it's, it's, it's one or the other. And I said, well, then you're out. And I, I broke her heart. And I, I was pretty heartbroken too. And it was a very sad breakup. And she couldn't believe that I wasn't going to quit what I, was, what I was doing. And then years later, when um, my training business got really, really successful and you know, I started getting into magazines and whatnot, she actually reached out to me and she said, um, you know, you never, you never broke you know, sight uh, of your goal. You never left the path. And you actually did what you were going to say that you were going to do. And that's, that's pretty admirable. And I said, yeah, and I would have let you have all the money too. <laughs> <laughs> too, if you would just been patient, but you know, uh, now I'm super, super driven on my goals. And I think when you're, if you're a, a visionary or have like an entrepreneurial mindset, many people take you as narcissistic anyway. And I'm sure there is some level of narcissism to it, but when you're that focused on something, if the, if your partner can't understand how important it is for you to accomplish what you need to accomplish, however, however great it may be to you, it's that important. And so either you've got to have somebody that truly gets it or you have to be alone. It's, it's one or the other, because otherwise you're going to have consistent fights and, and headaches. And I've, I've told this to many people over the years, either, either your partner has to basically be 100% supportive of letting you do whatever you need to do, or you just, Stick to being alone because nobody's going to bother you when you're alone. And really, that's it. Yeah. So another common question that I get is why don't I date like models, like Instagram models, like super hot, whatever women that like the type of women that a, an American man dreams they could be with? Why don't I date that type of girl? But I have before, mm -hmm. but it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work for me because they have their own life and their own goals and whatever. They, if they have their photo shoots and I'm not going to go with them. You know, I'm not going to go with them to their photo shoots and I'm not going to have my life over around their life. But you have to sort of, sort of have the alpha and the beta in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I'm always I always have to be the alpha and I, I will date uh, one of these girls that's very busy and, and uh, you know, a Barbie type girl or whatever. But then it just it never gets past a couple dates because what comes back second or third date, it's like. It's like, no, I, I'm not going to go with you to your thing. You need to come with me to my thing. Well, she needs to go to her thing, so it doesn't work. So I end up going for more of the submissive uh, uh, females that follow my lead, that do everything that I want and that support me, and then they get their pleasure from from pleasing me and, and me providing for them. That's the type of it's, relationship. It's a much happier life, I can promise you listeners, that my ex-wife was the most alpha woman that I've ever met. And yes, she was very, very beautiful. People to this day still tell me how beautiful they thought she was, but she actually hated 
that I was an alpha male. And she would say all the time, you're too fucking alpha for me. And I, and I would say to her, it is not normal for a woman to be as alpha as you are. I am, I am doing what society says that I should do. You're the one that's, that's different here, but she hated it. And that was why we had so many issues. Yep. All right. This one is the one I've been waiting for the entire time. And it says, gentlemen, it is me. The dude from the long sex and relationship question last week here for not a question, but a play by play of how things went down. Side note, before I get into it, previous, I was making her come every time we did have sex, and she rarely <laughs> masturbated, and when she did, she only thought of times we had sex as a couple. Of course. What a sweetheart. So here we go. <laughs> I decided that the best option after listening to you guys was to talk to her. I needed to f- form some kind of communication over the problem. Honestly, my gut feeling was that it wasn't going to go well, that my comments would be responded to by tears and comments such as, I'm not good enough for you, crying, and whatnot. So going into the conversation, I was hesitant and wanted to be careful how I worded things. This is what I said almost exactly because I think the way I said it was important to what happened next. I said, you probably have noticed I haven't been myself recently and I think I've come to the realization that it is over the past couple of months I have been sexually repressed and unfulfilled. To my absolute surprise, she took it incredibly well and maturely. I then continued to explain the rest of my feelings and even told her that I was attracted to other girls and that it was hurting me because I did not want that. After a proper conversation, we ended up having sex. The most surprising thing was, well, it was unreal. <laughs> As she was riding me, she said, let me try something and put her finger in her ass. As a kinky son of a bitch, I lost my shit at this point, mainly because I have tried sneaking my way and talking my way into the butt since way early on in the relationship. So for such a dramatic change to happen, blew my mind. Post-sex, I told her that I wanted, to master- I wanted her to masturbate every day and to watch porn specifically not think about me. So the next day I asked her what she masturbated to. She showed me, and it was a damn good kink. I understand that she was bisexual, but in the past she told me that it was because she was purely attracted to people, people's being without gender. Hmm. So everything has gone way better than I ever possibly imagined to the stage where I am straight up baffled at how such a change could occur in a person, and you guys are probably thinking the same thing. I asked her, turns out earlier in the day, she had an interaction with a parent of hers she doesn't particularly get along with, where the parent complained about her allegedly stealing items from the kitchen. At that moment, she had a moment of self-actualization, or what Tony Robbins calls the moment of change or something. She told me she just realized that she can display traits of what that parent does, and she dislikes them for that. I don't understand what happened, whether it was the way I said it or what happened earlier in the day, but there was a dramatic change of character for the better. We plan on buying some entice for future getaways. Thank you guys so much for all your advice. It felt like it was from a true friend. Anyways, I'm going to keep my identity secret until I tell her about messaging into you guys, or even if I do, but I did order a shit ton of subs recently. Since this is Ask PJ and not tell fucking PJ about your entire life, here's a fun question. If all the Blackstone employees had a gladiator royal rumble to the death, who would come out as the winner? Till the next time, amigos. <laughs> well, after all that, that's hilarious. I, I, I must say, I, I think, you know, let's pat ourselves on the back. We deserve a lot of uh, a lot of praise here because the guy was like at the end of his rope when he wrote in, and we gave him advice, and now he is having the time of his life. The time apparently. of his life, you know, they're probably going to live happily ever after. I would like to. I, w- I hope we get to meet uh, this couple. Uh, yes. I love. I love getting. So I am, and Josh is too. We're we're pretty damn. <laughs> we're pretty damn open with with our 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 sex life and the things that that we're into and, and experimentation and a lot of people are so uptight about it so when we get sex questions on the show we 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 welcome them so hopefully now 
uh, you know, that we've had Dr. Tony Huge on the show who's done some different experimenting than us for sure. Um, we'll get some more sex-based questions in. Um, I tell you that I love this subject. I really do. Um, I am, I am really, uh, happy to hear about anybody's positive sex life. So I have gay friends and they tell me the fucking craziest shit. And sometimes I'm like, you're grossing me out, but I still enjoy to know what makes them happy because I will, will, will say this to the day that I die. There is truly nothing better than having an orgasm and whatever it takes to get to get you off the best way that's the best we all should be doing that if it's lady boys or if it's just guys or if it's you know being tied up and and peed on whatever it is whatever gets you off the best you should be doing that all the time it's the best thing that you can do for yourself and it oftentimes doesn't really cost any money either which is great depending on what you're into. depending on what you're into yes, <laughs> sometimes yes, yes. people got to get paid for that shit <laughs> um so i'm i'm very happy to hear that um and uh, Tony, you seem like the kind of guy who, who I, I think has a pretty open mind and, and, and feels the same way. You know, there's some people are just way too uptight about sex. Yeah, there's two things that he said that, that stood out to me. Um, one is he said that uh, she was she the bisexual thing was intriguing because then she's attracted to the person, not yes. the gender, mm-hmm. uh, the person's being. Yeah. And there's an element of that in the ladyboy thing. That's what's so confusing because when you connect with a ladyboy and you don't have that same gender – I mean it, you do because they look like a female. So they get you in and you're attracted like sexually. You can't help getting an erection. You're going to get an erection because she's got great tits, great ass, beautiful, and she's doing all the right things. So you're, you're going to be hard. But then you're like, wow, I'm hard, but this person's actually a man, <laughs> but I'm not gay. And you're confused. And then the only way to sort of in the end is like, okay, I'm, I'm actually attracted to this person and I'm curious. And you start actually like, I get to know these lady boys and it's, it's fascinating to hear their background. I mean, doesn't, when you think about it, isn't it, doesn't it make you curious? How did they become a lady boy? What's their life experience been like? It's so fascinating to hear. And then you start almost falling in, not falling in love, like a deep, you know, romantic and marry each other love, but you start falling, you start feeling this love through understanding and through human connection. And so I, I understand that what he's saying. Um, the, the way that I get girls to do things that I think they wouldn't otherwise do, um, you know, like he had a hard time approaching her in the first place. Is I and I did a video about this. I have a YouTube channel called Relationship Starts Tomorrow, which is just a light, like a side hobby thing. I don't do it that often, but I sort of give my relationship experiences on it. And uh, one of the videos I did was I have a dream, and it was about how if I want a girl to do something kinky, which I am actually very not kinky. I just like missionary, very simple, and <laughs> I mean I just like. I just like my foreplay is I want the girl to massage me for 30 minutes and then uh, I just I use lube and I'm done in like five <laughs> fireworks. It's like a five minute fireworks, but still it's not time there's no foreplay on going the other direction. Okay. Uh, but but if I do want to do something kinky, the girl's really conservative because remember, I like I like Asian girls that are usually a lot more conservative than, you know, white, black or Mexican girls. And uh, the way I do it is I say, you know, last night I had a dream. I had a dream that you were 
I'm just going to use the peeing thing since you brought it up. <laughs> Some people like to get peed, tied up and peed on the orgasm. Uh, you know, I had this dream last night that I was in the shower sitting down, you know, uh, and you were peeing on top of me and touching yourself. And like at first it was so weird, but then it really turned me on. And then now I've been thinking about it more and more. And so, see, it's not your fault that you had a dream. So she can't really blame you. And you're and you're sharing something that she can't make you feel bad for sharing something that you didn't have control over, but that's going on inside your head. And it doesn't make her feel bad. Uh, so I think that technique works fairly well. You're a goddamn genius. <laughs> you're a goddamn genius, Tony. Holy shit. I think that that there's not a, a better way to 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 even end this this uh, episode than that. that was we have incredible. no more questions, right? Because that's a that's such a good answer. And by the way, that does work. What he's saying does work. There's uh, one the the funniest sex related stories. Um, save that for the end. Let's save that because that'll be we'll save that for the ending of the next one. All right. So I mean, holy shit! Thank you so much, Doctor Tony Huge. This has been incredible. Um, absolutely stunning. Long one too. Thank you for uh, giving us your time. Thank you, and I will definitely sometime, someday, come down there and party with you guys in Florida. And PJ, you and I might end up in Thailand together sometime. I hope so. I have a lot of learning to do. All right. Well, well, thank you uh, uh, again, uh, Tony Huge. And uh, those of you who who live under a stone and perhaps don't know Tony Huge, uh, you should at least follow him on Instagram. Uh, and it's just simply Dr. Tony Huge, and uh, you could check out Enhanced Athlete. Anything else you want us to? Oh, we'll check out his Generation Iron special coming out soon. I'm excited for that one. I know yes. that my girlfriend is excited for that one too. She's we she saw the the uh, the trailer for, it and she was like, "Ooh, that looks good." Yeah, that's what I saw, and it's very gripping. So, um, so in a uncensored content, I'm uploading all the videos to AnabolicTV.com. Okay, awesome. Uh, so, and you want to see the uncensored stuff? AnabolicTV.com. Well, I thought that was a hell of a podcast. We'll have to see what the uh, the listeners think, but we'll get some uh, some cool little uh, sound bites put up on Instagram, and uh, the podcast will probably be up. Eric, when will the podcast be up for, on iTunes? Yeah. So the audio, Eric says, will be up by Saturday, and then the video probably sometime next week. Cool. Send me a link. I'll publish it to my audience. Also, we will. Thank you very much, Tony. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you both. Thank you again, brother. We're going to end this like we always do with a peace out. Bye.